Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcons on Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Good to be with you. And freelance writer and critic Brett Nehru. What is the world outside my house? I do not know because I haven't stepped outside. Yes. Do you want to record a comedy special about it? You, you should. <laughs> I hope not. One. Unless it's about some other Virat Nehru who's a, basically a facade about and not me. You know. If you don't get what we're talking about, last week we did an episode on Bob Burnham's Inside. And uh, if you haven't listened to it, do. We only put it up the podcast yesterday because the pandemic broke my brain. But um, yeah. Like it did Bo Burnham. So I think it was. Right, exactly. So if you feel alone in the universe. um, You're all inside. You're all Burnham's inside. You might find kinship and togetherness in this time of isolation by listening to us. We good discussion, though. Yeah. Good discussion. There are a few other films we covered. We covered the new Lies Schlesinger film. Yeah, um, good on paper. Andre. Yeah, Sun. bad trip. And the reason we played the newly released Black Sheep single, which is awesome, been waiting for that single for a long time, is that we're doing, as promised, our major Edgar Wright retrospective. We covered Sparks Brothers a couple weeks ago. You can listen to the podcast as well. But we are covering all five Edgar Wright's narrative films through the show and into the podcast. We are talking in chronological order, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, Scott Pilgrim, at World's End, completing the Cornetto trilogy and Baby Driver. We actually did review Baby Driver on release, which you can go back and listen to that too. But yeah, we in retrospective, so we want to be completionist. Yeah. And you know, it's been four years. Opinions may shift. We'll see. Mm-hmm. As, yeah. as, as cars, as cars. I don't know a lot about cars. We do know a lot about movies. One of the motivations for doing this is that soon, hopefully, Last Night in Soho will be released. The film, probably one of my more anticipated of the year, along with Benedetta. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. Um, and it's but... less because of Edgar Wright, Glenn, but more because of somebody who's starring in the film who you happen to have a major crush on, correct? There's a, there's a number of very talented actors who I admire in this film. And a very sure, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like a great film. Brat uh, continuously refers to this as a salacious thing. Yes, I have a crush on Anya Taylor-Joy. Who doesn't? I mean, come on. So, uh, yeah, I have a crush on Lily James. You know, Scott, he's very good um, at casting crushable actresses. Crushable. <laughs> There's Scott, Scott Pilgrim, man, full of babes, right? That's yeah. true. It's, it's, that was the OG Manic Pixie Dream Girl trope, I think, before that was a trope. Right. That, that movie, it, it also Everyone's goes the other way, like lots of hot guys, and then they had to ruin it all by making Michael Sarah Scott. <laughs> oh, man. He's, he's, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. I, am, I recently watched uh, Gemini Man and Bird's Prayer of Mary Elizabeth Winsted. She's gone on to do some great stuff and by which I mean Birds of Prey versus uh, Gemini Man. Yeah. Dude, don't get me started on Mary Elizabeth Winstead. She should have a better career. She was really good in Cloverfield, Wayne. And yeah. really on that TV show, we... Fargo. Fargo is right, yeah. yeah she's mm. fantastic. Yeah, uh, she's we'll, great. We'll be talking about uh, her amazing contribution to that amazing film later in the program. First, we just want to talk briefly about News of the Week. Um, Static Vision are doing a festival online this weekend. Um, two, however, the team, uh, Felix Sabra, Bateman, have also announced just the past couple of days that some of their, they're also moving to distribution and some of their films, those films will be screening as part of the Melbourne International Film Festival, which we're going to talk about in the moment. Congratulations to Felix and Connor. The Taiwan Film Festival was having an online event on Saturday bookshelves, the first in a bookshelf series, it was meant to be in person, but they shifted online. 
SBS every night this week are having a Sydney Film Festival retrospective, screening different Sydney Film Festival films. I was just going to say, that'll get you excited for Sydney Film Fest next <laughs> month. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about that at the moment too. Mm. Um, yeah, Mustang was last night. There's a lot of good stuff there playing. Corpoimon from last week, the Scandinavian Film Festival, while screening around the country, have unfortunately postponed their Sydney run to a not confirmed later date. Given the current circumstances, hope everyone's keeping well and watching lots of Netflix films. Um, I've seen some great stuff. I watched uh, Spring Breakers for the first time. And Spring Break. It was Spring Break forever. It was okay. I agree. It's fine. It's fine. But, um, I watched Wicked Man and Rumblefish. Those were amazing. Yeah, good movies. The Melbourne Documentary Film Festival screens online from next Wednesday. So you can check that out. Harmonic hmm. um, are having the next short film night on July 28, and you can still get your flicks in. And the Clipped Music Video Film Festival have just launched their entries. That is screening uh, scheduled for August 27th at the Ritz Cinemas. So something to look forward to. So, yeah, you can make a music video and submit it there. And the awesome. Big, the big you, could be, you could be the very new Terrence Malick, essentially. The, the, uh, the housebound Terrence Malick. Yes. Some backyard nature glory. Yeah, or who was that director from Detention? Yeah. Your favorite Taylor Swift music director. Oh, uh, Joseph Kahn. Yes, you could be named Joseph Kahn, that's right. Yeah, these are all great band names, I've got to say. <laughs> so Myth 69, they've just launched their program. It's screening in person in Melbourne and from the 6th to the 15th of August and then online, which is where we will be viewing because we don't believe we'll be leaving Sydney anytime soon or 10 kilometers from where we are at any rate. And it's screened online from the 15th to the 24th. Um, many titles out of Khan, a very impressive list. Not all of which will screen online, but a number of which will. They've got Annette, which is really cool. Bergman Island with uh, Wes Kowska and uh, Vicky Creeps. The yeah. New Spurberg, the yeah. Ahmed, Comrades. And then, um, they've got both Ryusuke Hamaguchi films of the year. The one which won Best Director at Berlin and the one which has topped the critics' polls at Khan after just premiering there. Weirdly, they don't have the French Dispatch. Which is premiering what earlier today? Yeah. Oh, it's premier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's premiered. Oh, sorry. It's, sorry. Premiered um, already. Recording, excuse me. But yeah. the reviews are quite mixed, so I'm not quite sure the buzz wasn't that big. Well, yeah, that's big. right. Oh. We'll see. Um, They've got the uh, Mitram, the new Justin Cozell film, about, prospectively, about, um, about the events in Port Arthur some 25 years back. Yeah. It's the new Lab Diaz, which is, you know, the classic, if you have four hours of your life. No, two and a half hours this time around. Did I mention Memoria? I'm so keen for that. Yeah. Um, Basically, all the films we cannot watch here. That's right. Yeah, essentially. It might be able to watch Pig, the new Nicolas Cage. I've heard Pig is really good. I've heard that too, yeah. Yeah. Um, We also heard last week that, uh, uh, that for Sydney Film Festival, there would be a... Oh, um, just quickly before we get on to Sydney, um, Riders of Justice, they've got the new Mads Nicholson and Party. It's a, it's a, actually a really good lineup. And Almost Petit every Maman from the new Yama film from the director of Portrait of Lady oh, Petit, Yeah, Petit Maman, yeah. yeah. Um, almost every film that I wanted to see there was on the list. And I have a feeling the ones that are missing will be late editions. So, yeah, um, but the festival that we prospectively expect all of these films to premiere at is the Sydney Film Festival, which is scheduled from August 18th through the 29th currently. Um, nothing has changed at this point, but... They announced a uh, Abbas Kiarostami retrospective, which was one of the things we were going to talk about this episode when it was announced last week. Melbourneites will be able to enjoy that at Acme from the 3rd of September onward. Um, that would be something I'd be really excited about otherwise. But as Glenn was alluding to, 
I think this is all purely academic. I don't think we're going to be going to a Sydney Film Festival. Yeah. I don't know. We don't, we don't know. Yeah, none of us know still, anything, but... It's still five weeks out. Um, certainly, but, Myth, very, it was a very quick turnover, went to a model that was online and now the hybrid online and in-person model. Sydney, um, we don't know what restrictions there be at this point in the case that there are certain restrictions um, impending that are prohibiting aspects of the festival. There could be a hybrid approach or an online approach, we don't know, but mm. um, at this point it's still scheduled for August 18th through 29th. And this is, but, and this is after um, the unfortunate postponement last year that we did have the Sydney Film Festival event short run in January where we saw um, another round and Minari and a few others. Mm. The, the stuff we were discussing right before we recorded this is a lot again of we don't yeah well yeah but we don't know anything but some things to consider i feel like this lockdown probably won't be released until we have multiple days of zero cases and we're still around the 100 community transmission numbers now we should note we're recording this on tuesday today yeah. there were 88 reported cases 89 89, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. We, have, we don't know what's happened as of Wednesday's news. Exactly. Um, Any one of those people are infectious in the community. Yeah, but as I said, given that it's the Delta strain, I feel like we're going to need multiple days of zero cases before they remove a lockdown if they're being sensible. And I cannot see that happening within a month. On top of that, even if that happens within a month, Sydney Film Fest are going to have to act in advance with cancelling it. So even if it, it takes a month... If, um, we're probably, you know, by the end of the month going to know that it's not going ahead. Um, yeah. the, and I, th the, I think even worse, I think what I'm considering as well, given that I'm not vaccinated and I've got, you know, uh, depending on what, how the vaccinations happen for younger people, such as myself, uh, I'm not comfortable going out in cinemas, knowing with the Delta variant out there, putting myself at risk in cinemas in close proximity with other people. That's it. So if that's they miss that the Delta strain is still in the community, how bad would it be for PR on top of just being a moral nightmare um, to be holding the festival that causes a mass outbreak? I can say that every year at Sydney Film Fest, you get bad flu, right? If you haven't gotten the flu vax, every year that State Theatre Aircon is just recycling everybody's flu. So imagine that with the Delta variant of COVID. It's even with 75% yeah. capacity, even with 50% capacity and everyone masked, it's still, I think for most people, too big a risk, especially when you consider that the Sydney Film Festival crowd leans very heavily to older people. And we just, either very old or very young people, and both of those people, uh, you know. I think it's a pretty broad demographic. Though a lot of the um, core bread and butter is people who are a bit older who get the 30, 40 passes. The daytime subscribers. But we have to be clearly speculating, but also simply that this is a, these are the challenges that are facing any number of festivals, events, any other group that is showing things at the State Theatre or the mm. or or event cinemas or any other major forums um it's a tough it's, time it's a tough time we don't know um certainly we'd hope that there'd be uh support um coming externally to these groups at this time but also that um i'm glad sydney had their event in january to momentum and i know in any whatever form an event takes in the coming month or coming months um the fans are included we're going to be there to go because we we like having it it's just a nice calendar event it's we nice love event. it and you know what? Sydney feels, I, look, look, you look how Myth rallied. Myth had their biggest year ever with 191,000 views last year, all online. Um, this is the Sydney Film Festival. Sydney's feeling it right now. I think if Sydney were to go were to go in any form, people would rally behind it. People would be excited mm -hmm. to go see a Sydney, one of these Sydney cultural events. It always comes yeah. vivid. It's heavily associated with that for, with, 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 and just with 
um, Sydney at a particular time of year, people love it. Uh, people love going to the city for it, but even mm. um, not in, even excluding that, I think people will rally and enjoy um, participating yeah. in the film festival in one or more forms. I, I agree. Think if it does get postponed, which probably I feel is the most uh, friendly outcome, uh, because I wouldn't want it to be in a completely online festival. It doesn't just have the same experience. Uh, given that by October, I'm guessing the vaccine rollout would have been advanced far enough. And with new doses of Pfizer coming in, that would be friendlier. And there's some space in the calendar for a festival to be held in October in terms of what the calendar looks like, uh, in terms of the festivals, the other festivals to be accommodated as well. So mm. I think that that should be the best case going forward. So I, I hold on. No, I have to say, you look at the festival every single year. There are more festival film festivals in October than any other given month. I could I could check right now, but there's more than a dozen in Sydney alone that are scheduled for that window. So um, I think if it were to reschedule again, we're heavily speculating, but if it were to reschedule for that time, I think that would have a heavy impact on Festival Condor and a lot of the smaller festivals, many of which are community and or volunteer run. And that's so that these are all things that have to be considered. I to yeah. be honest, I think they should reschedule in spite of that. Just because if we don't have a major festival, um, there won't be one till 2022. That's three years, right? That's a long time. I've, I feel like it's important to run a Sydney Film Fest at this point. Agreed. No question. Yeah. Um, there, but there is a question, potentially. Uh, we may know in a couple weeks of what, what form or forms could take, but we'll find out. And obviously, we'll be reporting on that. Um, yeah. Would you, would, you, would you be okay with just an online festival, uh, Glenn? Is, is that what you're... I would not. <laughs> yeah, I would not be as well. Yeah, I think I would. I would participate, and I think a lot of people would for a feeling of solidarity and community and togetherness. I would too. I just again think it's important to run a festival. I mean, how great would it be to to do Sydney Film Festival in December, right? I know it's the sun's yeah. beautiful, be outside, but also on, on a on yeah. I've, I've never done a festival in summer, and that would be like. On, Take away all the festival flu, all the rain, all the misery. On, on a brutally hot day, to get a, spend that time in the aircon could be really nice in January. Actually, that's that's the other thing. I mean, especially with like, given that most of the things shut down and you have a three week holiday window, hmm. I'm surprised why more festivals haven't capitalized on that sort of you know uh, holiday season window where a lot of people. It's an outside culture. Uh, but here's the thing: people are away at that time. The only festivals that run at that time are Flickerfest, which happens on Bondi Beach. There's a couple of WA ones that happen on the coast, but the ones that are very beach orientated versus indoors, people just want to be outside. But that's the thing: uh, this is a COVID culture, the post the new normal, where I don't think we'll be going outside for Christmas or going away traveling for Christmas, at least for the next couple of years. So I think there's an opportunity if someone wants to grab it to have a december festival you know well it's saying we, we don't know what how what it's going to look like in a few months um certainly things like the vaccine roll will impact that uh but we'll see we will we will and whatever we'll, 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 and yeah we'll cover and we'll, we'll more cover. more australians are coming home and will be home in australia than any other time since apparently world war ii so because you know australians have spent considerable there's always been about, I think, more than 20% of Australians always living abroad at some point in the year. And I think they've all come back or they want to come back, clearly, uh, because of COVID. So there's been more Australians who are stuck in Australia and they can't leave abroad. So I guess it's time for a festival in December. Well, I've seen, well, maybe, maybe it'll happen. I've seen a lot of friends uh, for the first time in a while. And yeah, we may see a festival come summer. So you're listening to Film Fight Club on 2SL, Glenn Fountain, Chris Evans and Veronica Nehru. 
the next thing we are talking about is our Edgar Wright perspective. Uh, we've covered a couple of these films. We've re referred to his visual style a lot in the yeah. context of other films that have handled it worse. Because he's a he's a hugely influential director. And his still young career of only five films. He's left a huge impact. And many more to come. Hopefully. Um, so we're going to be talking about each of his films in chronological order. The first we want to talk about was his big, massive breakout hit, Shaun of the Dead, a film we never released. That was my third viewing. I rewatched it the other day. I saw it in release. I saw it when I ran it at uh, Film Sock um, years ago, and now watching it again. It is starring Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, Bill Nye, God, a lot of, a lot of very- The who's who of, uh, of British comedy, really. Yeah, we, we should note from the outset that this is these five films have been out for a while, so this will be a spoiler discussion for all of them. I feel it's fair. Um, yeah, yeah we've this probably seen them. In this, which is uh, draws a lot from classic zombie fare, mostly dramas, slashes, thrillers. Sean, a twenty-nine-year-old uh, Sean, played by Simon Pegg, has to contend with a zombie outbreak while looking to try to look out for his immediate ex-girlfriend Liz. His best mate played by Nick Frost, um, his mom, and uh, also navigate uh, well his romantic life at the same time and his personal life, which has become mundane and routine and which he wants to otherwise break out of. So, yeah, this is when Wright really first came on the scene. Like, you saw, I think you can see in this film the elements of his style that he would hone better in later films that were still would hear the mixing of music with action sequences and I, I think what's also important about this is each three of the each of the three installments of the Canela trilogy I think they're referred to as parodies a lot they're not parodies they're just comedies working within a genre there are homages to elements of famous films but rather than being parody they're standalone films that take the genre seriously and I think I'd have better for that yeah, that's it. This is um, it, I, the only of the major zombie comedies. And it should be noted, I think this film, along with Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, was instrumental in relaunching the zombie genre. Um, but it's the only one of the many zombie comedies that, that followed that actually takes itself seriously and works as a zombie film. Warm um, Bodies wasn't bad. Sure. Yeah, no, but... Um, but I also wouldn't classify Warm Bodies as a zombie film, like a classic Romero style zombie film in the same way that this is. Yeah. Um, I, I, I agree, I'm pro Warm Bodies, but this, despite the comedy, has a real sense of bleakness and despair as it goes on. And uh, it takes itself seriously, as you say, um, while having a lot of gags. I think the balance between the gags and the seriousness is really good. I'll use this opportunity to attack my favorite punching bag. Despite being a comedy, this takes itself more seriously than, for example, a lot of MCU movies. Oh, it never, yeah, it never undermines its drama or the reality of the characters. Yeah, I mean, people uh, suffer a lot and the damages and the consequences are there and they have to live with that. Mm, but but the comedy is, is not working on a level of pulling the rug out from the dramatic stakes oh, yeah, yeah. or exactly. look at how dumb this is or don't worry guys this is tongue-in-cheek we're not and, taking it seriously exactly and, and once the stakes are established they're not uh, you know undone essentially which is a yeah. big thing yeah 
I, I felt it. I felt that major characters die in this and you mm. and you feel it. You feel, oh, yeah. you feel a sense of loss there. And also just with the gags, a lot of the MCU films, a lot of films at any rate, um, Archer as a classic pure example of this, like to return to gags again and again and again as so it makes it funny. This film, I've, I only really noticed this on rewatch, sets up a lot of gags and fills them later on. It returns to gags a maximum of two times. Therefore, they don't feel overused, they don't feel overdone. And it feels like when you return to it, a sec it's the first time there's a sense of surprise, the second time there's a sense of further payoff, but then there's no third, oh, we've seen this and it's done. So therefore you kind of get over it quickly, which happens with any number of other films of lesser writing. And mm. just on this film taking itself seriously, how prescient is so much of this? The talk about um, there's a there's a feeling of um, a disease that's going around. We're not quite sure. There's a lot of speculation. Oh, yeah. all zombie films. Yep, yep. I know, but watching this in particular, it just felt particularly with the way they progressed the media coverage. Okay, there's a lot of this that is eerily prescient in light of COVID. You're John. right. The film actually does capture the anxiety of living in that environment really well. I think, well, because it's not just playing up for gags. Yes, there are a lot of gags in there, but there's something about the hysteria of surviving a zombie apocalypse, which this film actually touches upon in terms of its emotional beats, which is kind of too real. It's almost too real that it's funny. It's funny because it's too real, maybe. I don't know. And that's, that's kind of like, you know, yes, it's played up for gags, but there's an undercurrent of, hang on, this could happen, and this is kind of happening right now, which is what makes it funnier upon the rewatch that I've now seen it right now within a pandemic. So I think the irony kind of writes itself. Um, yeah, and it has a lot better resonance than a film like 28 Sailors, which I otherwise like, which doesn't resonate in light of, um, I think, what we're experiencing now, because it's such a, um, I think the situation Shaun of the Dead, well, obviously comic and extreme, is more analogous than the much more um, greatly extreme scenarios you typically see in zombie fare. And therefore, I think this, this work in and it will still like engage with the current audience but glenn you alluded to before to how well done the script is and i think we need to draw attention to that this is so tight the number of uh setups and payoffs in here without most of the time without drawing attention to them so much that you predict what's coming um is incredible the the number of gags that land um the I, the efficiency with the way that it handles character and plot progression. You could say that a few aspects of the character progression are a bit rushed or a little bit simple, but it works yeah. because it's, it's operating in that B-movie straight to the point zombie style. And, and despite having seen it plenty a number of times, I mean, this Glenn is your third watch. I've seen it at least five times now. Well, rewatch value hasn't decreased for me. I, even yeah. though I know what's happening, I know what the gags are. They're still funny. They're still funny in, on repeat watch, watches. I don't know about you guys. Love, yeah, it's still funny. The, the stuff on mundanity, on going through regular life and just sitting there and you know playing video games and 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 that like wanting to break out, that is never going to age. So the core stuff in this film, every zombie film, at least the good ones, are running around a central, general quarter life theme. This does one that most zombie films don't. And mm. but it's one that is not just universal but perpetual. And what's a lot of that brings it full circle with a very funny scene of the shed at the end. What's great about this film is it focuses in on the story of the guy who's got to get his life together, um, you know, letting life pass by, and he's given the opportunity to rise to the the moment. But it does so without feeling like it's taking away from the horror of what's happening. It doesn't have that narcissistic vibe of 
all these people are dying, but we yeah. just care yeah. about this one guy. It's not just a hero narrative above above all else, essentially. It's the, it's got a sense of perspective and balance to it. Yeah, that's right. And uh, this film, as with The World's End, which on rewatching really felt like a sister film to this one. Um, I really like The World's End. It's actually more we'll, emotional. We'll, we'll get, get to that. We're going to get um, Is, you know, really understands male friendship. Yes. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, you've got a point, yeah. Well, then, okay. my favourite is Hot Fuzz, but this delves into it much more. It just shows how dedicated he is to this individual. I like how they handle it more in Shaun of the Dead than in Edward's End. I'd go further into Edward's End as a companion piece in that regard. Um, I meant it, yeah, it was a companion piece. I was looking for the right word. Yeah, I... Sister is a funny word to use for so, such male films, isn't it? No, but sisterhood, it does have a sisterhood to it. You're right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's characters, characters do age with um in the films, and they deal with different elements of male bonding and male relationships, which which I did appreciate. Um, I love, there's just a lot of gags I loved in this. I love when the equivalent group with Martin Freeman meets up with them later. It's just such a funny scene. I could really it, led by it. Yvonne Stevenson from Space, who was Simon Pegg's co-star in Spaced. So there's a bit of a gag there where all of the people in the other group are people who correspond as it, like, who acted with the other people in the group. Like you've got the actress who played Fran in Black Books corresponding with, um, you know, Bernard Black and you've got yeah. Dawn from The Office meets Martin Freeman again. Yeah, it's, it's a nice little gag if you watch a lot of British comedy. And oh, the fence scene, um, and anything with Bill Nye. Bill Nye is just one of those rare actors who, just by virtue of being there and like sitting there, is funny. Mm. And hello, Sean. And just not sure whether he's a zombie or not. It's... How funny is Peter Serafin in this? His character, yeah. like I say, how funny, but like his character is played fairly straight, but he's one of those great comedians who can strike that balance. It's got a it's lot of funny comedy, know? like facial physical comedy, which. You don't get in contemporary movies at all. Like mm. I do not see that at all. People's faces are so wooden these days that they don't have any kind of mm. flexibility to express. This, the, the theme of this film is the one that came out in a lot of the Judd Apatow and post Judd Apatow comedy about like schlubby guys and you know yeah. sitting around the couch playing video games when you're going to grow up. But how much more realistically is it portrayed in this versus the American equivalents? Feels so much more real. Yes. Because the thing is, I mean, this is the one thing which I think the, the British comedies do not try to champion your pathetic guys. They show them as pathetic. The American comedies are always trying to champion your pathetic guys as if they are aspirational or they need to be better than they are. British comedies are quite self-aware that your pathetic guys are okay at being pathetic and they don't need to be aspirational. I think there's some, something real about that. It's all the same. It is still a, a redemption story in a lot of ways. Yeah, it is. It is. But they're not built up as, you know, they can discover the heroism somehow. If you look at a film like Knocked Up, where it's like if you just acknowledge you're wrong rather than actively seeing to improve yourself, you'll get the pretty girl. Whereas this is here are the, and Scott Pilgrim is also a, a variation of this theme, but a very good one, I think, where look what you have to do in order to earn and achieve a self-betterment and a romantic relationship with um, an equal or someone you otherwise admire and I think short of the dead it, it, it deals with this very bluntly in the with using as, as analogous as analogous to zombie apocalypse but I think it is still effective I honestly would have could have gone for a longer film if we could have dived into relationship with Liz a little more but I think it handled it well yeah I agree with that so that is Shaun of the Dead can I just say on the on Shaun of the Dead how classic the running bit about 
getting to yes. Manchester and waiting for all of this to blow over. Yes. And the, those zoom-ins <laughs> on uh, oh, oh, peg on the couch, give, you know, with his tea winking at the camera. I still do that. And I, I, I do regular parts of people. And you know what? The scene where he's like, all right, we're going to do this. You know what we're going to do that? Shots of the Winchester. We're going to go here. They play out the whole film in this conversation. It's mm. so clever and so intricately written. I love and, it. And the, the expectation versus reality. Yeah. So oh, funny. Just, Without just, having just, to draw attention to itself. It's all, the, the, what, what's interesting watching this and Hot, and Hot Fires and, well, and uh, well done. And this film Sorry, was meme well culture done. before meme culture, essentially. Right. Um, yeah. what, what's, well, a lot of Edgar Wright is, honestly, if you go back and watch Space, it fits that. But what's interesting yeah. about them is they're broadly accessible and uh, comprehensible by anyone, but they respect the audience's intelligence. It's impossible to imagine mainstream releases like this Hot Fuzz and The World's End being released now, which is crazy, you know? What the hell happened to our industry? So we're going to be on the podcast talking all things Hot Fuzz, At World's End, Scott Pilgrim, and Baby Driver. The World's End, by the way. At World's End is a Pirates oh. of the Caribbean movie. Much worse song. Oh, God, I hate this movies. Uh, we'll keep updating you on film festivals, Melbourne Film Festival, Sydney Film Festival. Stay safe. Reach out to your friends. Watch some movies, whether um, with others. Uh, watch some self-affirming movies. It's a crazy time, and it's nice just to watch a happy comedy like these ones. I loved re-watching these because, you know, it allows you a week, and it's nice to see just a fun film with friends bonding and overcoming crazy um, apocalyptic scenarios. Welcome back to Film Fight Club, where we are talking all things Edgar Wright, and here cometh the fuzz, Hot Fuzz, the best yeah, one. I agree. I think Hot Fuzz is his best film. I still remember back in 07 watching the movie show and Margaret and David fighting it out, and David arguing that Short and Dead was better, and Margaret correctly asserting that Hot Fuzz is actually a superior film. She remains right to this day. They're different. I'm going to progress a theory over the course of this episode that Simon Pegg is extremely important to the Edgar Wright equation. I, I completely agree. Hmm. And also I think Hot Fuzz has something to say about police culture, right. which, are, which is like instrumental and actually quite uh, astute. Right. We're just assuming that if you're listening to the show, you've seen Hot Fuzz at least once. We'll spoil it. This was actually my first... Um, Rewatch since. Oh, really? I used to okay, watch rewatch. TV okay, right. I thought I thought you were gonna say first watch. Honestly, this was probably I haven't seen it in years, but this was probably the fifth or so time I've seen it. Okay. At least the fourth. I, I say collectively because I say like first four watch because like I've seen so many clips of these over the years. I used to see someone who, when she couldn't sleep, she just put hot fuzz on in the background and just listened to the audio. 
and mm. just like it was just so assuring and funny and regular you knew it so well it just lulled you into like oh sweet sweet dreams right it, it, it's actually just nice like i love that opening scene hello nicholas how's the hand very well oh. you're being promoted the oh. opening this movie opens so goddamn well comparing it with Shaun of the dead i'll advance this theory as it goes on you can never know what really happened behind the scenes with the writing process but yeah if you look at the credits of um, Shaun of the Dead and The World's End, they're written by Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright. Oh, really? Okay, they yeah. wrote it together. I didn't know oh, that. No, all of them are, right? But yeah. hear me out. Those two are written by Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright. Hot Fuzz is written by Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg. I strongly feel like, I, the, I think that emphasis is important. The vibe I get having watched his whole filmography is that um, Simon Pegg supplies a lot of the seriousness and Edgar Wright is more interested in style and genre homage aspects. And Hot Fuzz being the only one of the Cornetto trilogy where the writing was led by Edgar Wright based on the credits is not taking itself seriously at all. <laughs> and it's, it's quite a contrast from the other two in that regard. This yeah. is a straight out parody. And I think the film is, it still works as an action movie, but it is so goddamn ridiculous. And um, it, it's all the better for it, honestly. I feel like this is the perfect vehicle for Edgar Wright's understanding of film genre ticks. But also at the same time, I, I feel this was perfectly placed in the trilogy as well, because you have two somewhat serious films balanced with comedy and an out and out ridiculous kind of, you know, absurd film, which mm. is not taking itself seriously. If you look at the trilogy as a whole and how it progresses, each is offering you something different while still being, you know, carrying something forward of its, you know, usual mm -hmm. flavors. But, so I, I do enjoy the combination. And I think one something that elevates this, the other two films, as good as they are, are con quite conventionally written in the respect that they become more and more extreme and they end on this extreme crescendo that just goes further and further up. That equivalent moment in Hot Fuzz, I'm talking about the greater good scene where they all meet in the churchyard, happens towards the end of the second act. So then you have this whole third act where you're not quite, you're in new territory, you're not quite sure what's gonna happen, it's a little unpredictable. And those are the best scenes, the wonderful, perfectly bound sequences where he walks with the horses, with the horse and the guns on his back, just shooting up the town and some of the best stuff. I like that it, they just didn't do the conventional filmmaking approach and therefore brought a semi-fourth act where we don't know what's gonna happen and we can kind of have these major shifts in tone that you don't otherwise see in movies. Well, it only becomes an out and out action movie in that final sequence. Until then, it's been a, a comedy drama. I, not really a comedy drama, it's out and out comedy, but I mean, it's it's been on paper, uh, outside of the absurdity of the execution, a drama about a policeman entering a small town, getting to know the locals, and then- Yeah, um, it's, it's an outsider narrative. It's like, you know, right. outsider comes into town. You know why they chose this town, right? You, was it what you said before we started the episode that it's Timothy Dalton's home village? No, it's Edgar Wright's home village. Oh, really? Actually, oh. his town. So he came back, imagine Edgar Wright coming back after making short of it and saying, hey guys, I want to shoot a film here. We're going to destroy half the town. Yes, let's do it. Yes. And it's that's a big really budget. Sweet, yeah, that's really sweet. That's pretty sweet much, yeah. Something great about the genre mashup in this film for me is how it touches on the absurdity of Midsummer Murders type UK <laughs> murder mystery shows. Where there's an incredible amount of murders happening in, in sleepy 
little <laughs> ideal English cottage type towns. I love, those, I love that. Sh- I love, no, this is, uh, what is it? There's never any, I love those shows. I love them, unironically. But what is it? There's, no, there's never any murders. We have a high accident rate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, like, it just, just had to happen. You heard the murder Shakespeare. It's wonderful. The idea of this maintaining this, the, the extremes they go to to maintain the visage of the perfect town. Mm. It's, look, there is a parochialism in any, in a lot of communities. And some of which is very positive, some of which is very negative. And I think Hot Fuzz touches on that. You know? that. And I, I love it. And then takes it to this extreme degree where all these old muckers are coming through town trying to shoot um, the cops as they as they march in. I loved the, the gags about how they hate the hoodies. So English. Yeah. So oh, brilliant. It's the in not taking itself seriously at all, it allows Wright's formalism to be just completely unleashed. Like it allows for these ridiculous montages whenever it would advance the joke. Those like um, the mugshot yeah. bits. I love the recurring rock song bit that comes in whenever there's the, <laughs> the mugshots with that. Yeah. Uh, we're all going to jail. The best music cues are whenever Timothy Dalton rocks up and there's a song playing relevant to whatever's going on. And he just has this, in his great Shakespearean voice, really sinister thing to say. I absolutely adored him in this. I, I, I always loved the scene where he's smiling. And it's a picture. Oh, yeah, the portrait. On the wall. Yeah, the portrait behind the yeah. There's so many gags I could point to. Like, yeah, it, it, it's a very gag heavy film, but at the it's same his, time, it's his most comedic film. Yeah, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like a gag fest. It doesn't feel like the gags are overloaded to the point that they aren't advancing the narrative or they're not telling the story or they're not showing you something which you would not have seen before. They're not just gags for gag's sake. It's, it's very hard to do that. It's, uh, and no, that's I don't right. think the, any the, other film has succeeded to this extent. The story is still um, engaging. One film, yeah. it's hard to think of a, another comedy film that succeeded as much. Exactly. One film I can think of, I don't think it, it's quite as good, but it's very good, is Spy. That's another movie that has a, a good balance of plot to narrative. The Jason Statham one? Yeah. It's great. It has, has a good balance of narrative and plot and has a lot of yeah. gags that land. Um, I, f- I feel like the approach to violence with the sudden intrusions of gore in that film are probably inspired by Hot Fuzz. But um, this is a classic comedy. The yeah. number of gags that land in this is nearly unprecedented among recent comedy films and by recent yeah. last one Amazing sequences, the stuff with the shearers, um, the sea mine and the entire armory. The fascist <laughs> hag bit. Um, <laughs> I staker. The, 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 the entire we're just, we're just quoting the film. Oh, this oh they got so good. The, the so bit where they have all the different people coming in to just shepherd him off to the country. Um, just him just being so stoic and being so abrupt and not having seen any of these cop films. I love the recurring Point Break bad boys debate. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And watching Point Break is the answer. 30th anniversary today. Bonding over those action films and then having it pay off in the final sequence with the shift into the Tony Scott-esque style and Michael Bay. But yeah, Tony Scott with the um, the deliberate Uh, kind of like mixing of film stocks and like slightly bleached and like crazy zooms and stuff between the shots. (laughs) Um, Also, you see that that in the the montages, like as I mentioned before, the the mug shots. How great is the way that they they depict him moving from the Met uh, to this country town um, with that montage of the train journey? Yes, yes. Getting woken up. 
it, it, it takes over, and and know. that that happens. Uh, that's a recurring thing that happens in the Cornetto trilogy, in in terms of how time and space are handled. Mm. Every time you move to a new town or a new space or a new day, it's shown differently. Mm. Whether it is through mugs of coffee, whether it is through sleeping and waking up in the train station, it's it's really clever. And actually, that was probably in terms of cinematic language, uh, one of the more interesting ways of showing passage of time because I'm sick of seeing, you know, other cities covering from other cities and we just having a drone shot and you're now into a new city or, you know, oh, this is now a new day. That's it. This is a comedy, but the level of um, control over the visuals is really far ahead of films that take themselves very a lot more seriously very... today. Yeah. Speaking of the city and the location, I think central to this is that the town has to be a character and very developed as an idea, not just the town, but the geography. And that comes full circle with the amazing sequence where they storm through the model, the true model. Model town. I'm going to be a big cop in a small town. Fuck off to the model village. And we really get an idea of this town. It's so emblematic of so many lovely British country towns. Anyone who's ever spent time in this part of the world can absolutely love it. I love the the escalatingly gruesome deaths. I, I actually what something we haven't talked about is the casting. Um, I forgot about Kate Blanchett's cameo. Mm-hmm. That whole thing with the mask was absolute gold. The guys in the background going hello, hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many good jokes. <laughs> you just sound like fanboys going like, oh, and what about this bit? But like, when it's do you? Ever I mean, it's a film like worth fanboying about. I don't care. It's it's a great film. I mean, it's why great. Not? The other thing is. The, there's a lot of great verbal gags, like some of the ones we've Olivia mentioned. Olivia Coleman ever did. Oh, sorry, Olivia Coleman. Everything Olivia Coleman said, she's, I'd forgotten how good she was. I'd forgotten how good she was in this. She's oh, yeah, good. she's hilarious. But there's a good balance, and this is something that has become a lost art, between the verbal gags, which are easier for us to recite here, like the fascist tag bit is another one I love. <laughs> but there's a lot of visual comedy. There's a huge amount done with contrasts between uh, this hyped up action movie style and the small town. A lot of the jokes, this was in place in Shaun of the Dead, but it's evolved to a new level here where the framing of the shot, the withholding of detail, and then suddenly revealing it, et cetera, is used to great effect to form the gags, as well as these montages we're talking about. Like there's a huge amount of humor in the editing. Sudden entries and exits out of frame, sudden exiting the frame, very Buster Keaton style of visual comedy. People yeah. just entering the frame and you're just like, wait, where did, where did that come from? Why, how did he come into the frame? And, you know, it's, it's funny just- you mentioned Buster Keaton because I remember when um, Edgar Wright left Ant-Man, he, yeah. he couldn't comment because of NDAs, but his only, let's call it a, a public comment on it, was on Twitter. He posted a picture of a sad Buster Keaton. So maybe he does see himself as a uh, descendant of his legacy. Well, very much so. I, I think the amount of physical comedy oh, that there is in Ant Man and anything else. So what was that, Glenn? Reference to the train scene in Ant Man and anything else, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guarantee you that's a holdover from Edgar Wright, the train bit. Definitely. So similar yeah. to a lot of these Hot Fuzz gags we're talking maybe about. The best action scene in any of these films. Yeah. I have um, nothing bad to say about this movie. It's no. just fun. It's just really a lot of fun. Yeah. There's no real, there's no fluff, there's no fat, there's no gags that I don't like. That's it. The hit rate is outstanding. <laughs> you know, there's no bits that are annoying. And you don't care whether you've seen the film and you know what happens. It's still funny. It's you just 
rewatch Rally is amazing. Hmm. Everyone knows a Sergeant Nicholas Angle. Like everyone knows a guy who's <laughs> Angle. Still, yeah, that's what I always call him. Um, yeah. So who's so fastidious and such a stickler for the rules, and then just it's so cathartic and satisfying to see him just go fuck it, and then just mm-hmm. run through this town. Oh yeah, we screwed him over because it's all build up. Like if I were to be nitpicky about this film, I would say maybe it's a tad long. But if it weren't so long, it wouldn't have the impact when he storms into the town at the end. Exactly. And so much time being frustrated with this guy being laughed at for being, you know, the, the so by the book in the English town. And then we cheer him on when he comes in to restore order when the hypocrisy is revealed. No, no, I, I think I think you've touched like, upon this. Hey, I'm going to go after you. Yeah. Uh, I think you've touched upon a really good point, Chris, that I don't think we're giving enough credit from a screenplay point of view about how hard it is to write this kind of film, which is not just gag heavy, but also has like plot progression in terms of if I don't establish this to this extent, the payoff will not be that good. Mm. And this film has such good command over that visual language to know that it needs to spend this time with the town to get to know these people, to get to know the absurdities of these places, to have that final payoff. It's, it's actually amazing. It's it's, it's a masterclass. Oh, yeah. Oh, and I've spent so much time in these towns where it says, I, I, I do remember, there's a town called Church Stranding where I first saw it. It was no more than three kids in this candy store at this one time. There's the, the sign, no more than one kid in the store and mm-hmm. one local rag. And there's the, yeah, the hoodie kids who um, do everyone just kind of, and there's like the rich guys on the far end of town. And there's the pub that everyone just, loves and goes to and it's that warm just lovely british feel to it yeah it, it feels incredibly it, it, it's incredibly authentic because it is incredibly authentic um everything is good about this one thing i didn't realize until i watched both this the second time this week and then the wicker man for the first time last week but yeah the wicker man inspiration yeah, well yeah, yeah edward woodward who plays the, the detective in the wicker man is one of the chief villagers who are after Sergeant Angle in this movie, which I think is just one of the most inspired, beautiful, most beautiful pieces of casting for anyone who's seen The Wicker Man and in context knows how hilarious that is. Mm, mm. <laughs> um, I love how it brings in that English cult aspect. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, now she's had a grand, she's had a new filled child. Oh, one well, lovely, that's so good. And now <laughs> we've dispatched the um, people, who, the riffraff, yes. We <laughs> I understand the hedges will be going forward to the it's outstanding yeah, yeah, yeah. we can't, we I, can't I, even uh, talk straight without being able to quote this film and then we're just breaking out into fits of laughter so sorry about that listeners and it's an endlessly rewatchable classic comedy yeah, yeah. at this point it's it's up there in the canon of comedy films ever made I would say yeah, Edgar Wright doesn't need, like he's allowed to make at least ten bad movies because of this one good one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Point Break or Bad Boys Two? Point Break. Yeah, no, bad, bad Boys Two. Really? Point Break, no Oof. question. Not even. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, bad Boys Two is amazing trash. I love the tribute to Bad Boys Two in this film. Yes, I do and love that. What's interesting is like this would have been re- written in what, like two thousand and five, two thousand and six. Yeah. And they knew Bad Boys 2 was destined for classic status. It had only been out a couple of years. Like they knew. It's like when you see something that's that ridiculous, you, know, you, you have to take off your hat in tribute. And it, it it's, it's, it's pretty ahead of its time. Yeah, you're right. I still love his DVD collection, like very immaculately maintained. That we all, aspire, all us film nerds aspire to that. You're reminding me of the, the bit where at the, the grocery store where Nick Frost is reaching the DVD covers. 
<laughs> Super cop. He's the cop. You can't stop. And, you know, uh, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not Nick Frost. I'm, you just man. know that every local constable in the entirety of the UK would just sit there and endlessly watch the film with the chill. Like, yeah, they love it. No, it's brilliant. Um, yeah. What more can we say? Yeah, it's it's go watch it again. Like you, you, you can't not have seen this. So I think before we before we wrap up our thoughts about this film, I was just gonna say that given what that we've been in extended lockdown, it's just been so much fun uh, getting to rewatch these classic comedies by Edgar Wright. So I'm yeah. glad we picked a retrospective about Edgar Wright and not you know some depressing filmmaker. Which at this point is I everyone. Know, yeah, yeah. I mean. Like Bergman or someone, like great. I want, I, but I don't want to do. Not right now. Yeah, not right now. I'm not in the headspace for that kind of cinema. And I think this was perfect to rewatch all these films, which are still moving and still quite profound. Some of them are, but yeah. Damn funny, but damn funny. Yeah. Like, really on funny. that note, it's worth noting that all of these films are available on the major streaming platforms in Australia. Exactly. Right, is a very popular filmmaker. Clearly, his films have a great shelf life. When I say the major platforms, I mean Netflix, Stan, Amazon Prime. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. All of them are available b- between those platforms. Yeah. Um, but uh, Glenn, you touched on this. The casting man, Jim Broadbent, is so funny in this. Yeah. Oh, what a versatile actor he is, though. He he is. I love the moment when he introduces that he is Nick Frost's father. I think he knows that his son has done the dirty, and it's just like that implicit. I love, don't you love, isn't my son awesome to, you don't you dare cross my, me and my son right now. There's just this nice subtlety and you just see this like really hubristic, fastidious sergeant. So you're like, ah, oh, good. Yeah. What I do. That, and, that whole generation of British comics, man. I mean, it's just too much talent and just amazing. They didn't have to do much. They were hmm. just funny by being in the frame. It's mm-hmm. Oh, Timothy Dalton in this. Oh, he's wonderful. He's... Never was there a tale of more woe than that of Juliet and her. Oh, role. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a trained prices. <laughs> and he just like, I love the bit where he runs to the frame, like literally runs into the frame when we introduce, introduces him. And then, oh, the, and this, the, the, and what's also great about this is that the plot itself, the, the scheme regarding, um, a massive development of major franchises into a small village is a very relevant thing that is facing these communities. So it all, but obviously played for laughs and, and to t- a serious, outrageous degree. Touched on again in The World's End. Yes. Yeah. Just, sure. just, just, I want to talk about the actors. Just, and I know I touched on it. Simon, uh, Nicholas Angle, he, unlike any of the other, I mean, the character that Peg pays in At World's End is overconfident. But the, character, the world's end. The world's end. Sorry, the world's end. But the character he plays in Hot Fuzz is he's so hubristic, and he doesn't let that up. Um, he learns to he, he kind of his smarts change, but um, it's such a it's all the characters here are so and especially every character writer said Peg play, but they have, they have together written are so well defined. Mm. Nick Frost here is playing an extension of his character in Shaun of the Dead. We could say. But uh, he, he's given opportunity for something very different in the world's end. But um, Peg here is completely different to in Shaun of the Dead. And yeah, he nails it. He nails it every time. He's a great comedic talent, which is 
who I think is wasted in Hollywood. Like, I don't think Hollywood knows what to do with I him. I don't like him in Mission Impossible films. I don't like Ben. No. Yeah, neither. Um, Paul wasn't great. The other non-Cornetto, non-Edgar Wright, Simon. Mm. They were trying to re recapture the space vibe, but yeah, that one was written by Peg and Nick Frost. I, I really think, as when we'll get into this, starting with the next film, when we get to that, but I really think Peg and um, Edgar Wright work so well together. I think their work together is miles better than the work they've done alone or with other writers. Yeah, they do. They should whatever has happened. They should make up and just just oh, do another movie. I doubt anything bad's happened. I think I think they've just been busy. You know, um, Wright's wanted to make Hollywood films. Peg's been doing Hollywood acting. But but then like Hollywood's done the dirty on Wright, and now Simon Pegg's career in Hollywood is not going anywhere. It's perfect timing to come back together. You mean with uh, you mean with regard to Ant Man? Yeah, yeah. I I I feel they might work together again one day. I think. I hope they do. They've given us. They so should. They should. I mean, they're. They're a good team. It's just like I think Edgar Wright's protagonists are perfectly manifested in Simon Pegg. Mm. Like he has a physicality to be an Edgar Wright protagonist. And yeah, Pegg is so incredible in these films. He's given the opportunity by Wright to do stuff that he just doesn't get to do in Hollywood. Yeah. So that is Hot Fuzz. Go see it. You, yep. you all, everyone's seen it. You all have seen it already. Go see I it. Know, again. Again. If you haven't, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The next film we're talking about is um, a film that I have not rewatched since release. I have read the comic. Neither had I. Yeah, I've read the comic since then. and But uh, not to completion. Not to completion. No, in fairness. Um, it, takes a, it takes a different turn, but we'll get to that. In Scott Pilgrim versus the World. We're again assuming you've seen it. He has to take on the seven evil exes of his new partner, Ramona Flowers, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead in her breakout role. This is the, I think, a lot of people were in this film. It was the first prominent film for a lot of actors, certainly Brie Larson, I would say. Is that fair? Uh, she'd been yeah, in other stuff. I, I, think. I think Aubrey Plaza, right? Aubrey Plaza had been in. They'd all been in stuff. This was just like bringing together all of the, the hottest, coolest, hippest actors of the now. Yeah, Kendrick, Culkin, Schwartzman, Chris Evans is fantastic in this. I oh, dude, comedy. He was so, so funny. funny. Yes, he was so good. That he is the highlight of the movie to me. Yeah, I watched. I watch it every year. Not another teen movie, which is to date my still my favorite Evans performance. He and this you see it in uh, Knives Out. Too. He the guy just loves comedy and is better at it than his sober, super serious Captain America type stuff. He should just do comedy. He should just do comedy. Yeah. And, I, and now, look, he's had a, and, and now he has the added benefit that given the 10 however Marvel films he's done, he can just spend the rest of his career subverting that image with Knives Out and Scott Pilgrim style roles. Mm. Yeah, and it's funny because like all these younger crowds are just like, oh my God, Captain America, America can be funny. I'm just like, yes, he was funny before. He was Captain America as well. So anyway. Um, I should also note that, yeah, he, he, he always has been. I should not, I just want to say it's Brie Larson's breakout role. She did, she was in a few things. She also had a music career. She was a great musician. I've always liked Black Sheep. Um, I liked watching it again in the film. I'm <laughs> glad still now. The song's by Metric, right? Uh, yes. Hmm. Yeah, I really, on rewatch, I really, I still really enjoy this. I think it's a great film. I think more than most of Wright's works, it shows just how well he integrates music with action. I think that a lot of that is because in this, unlike the other ones, a lot of the music is diegetic because we're dealing with bands. So he can show it's a wonderful effect 
notes and how music riverbeds throughout a room and otherwise impacts and interacts with an audience in a visual way. So we saw this in, in the Heights um, during one of the dancing sequences, um, in one of the best sequences of the film. I think things like that draw a lot from the tradition of Edgar Wright, particularly Scott Pilgrim. He and pays a lot of attention to, to timing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So in the character of Knives, I mean, this, this film had the OG Knives Out with Knives being so out there. Anyway, sorry, that was my bad attempt at the joke and pun, which will not land. Um, okay, so I don't like this movie. I admire aspects of it. Because you've read the comics. I'm actually keen to hear your perspectives about like how it's different from the comics. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll get to that later. But the, um, I want to make clear, the film is allowed to be its own thing. But I do find the changes from the comic interesting in that they they're all for the worse i think in terms of making this land but okay to something notable about this film with regard to the comics though is that it was written during the production of the comics like game of thrones um it was written like halfway through the the writing of the comics it takes its name from the second book scott pilgrim versus the world which is as far as they'd published at the time when they started writing the script but taking it for what it is um, I just found it really annoying. I, like, I found this movie aggressively one note. Um, it's constantly hyper-caffeinated. Um, there are some good jokes, but it's that I feel a smugness in this movie similar to like a Diablo Cody movie where it's so confident in its cool hipness and, you know, the pop culture references, et cetera, but I don't think there's any soul. I don't think there's any real emotional core to this. I think Not the only smugness... That. I think the smugness you're referring to is also because of Michael Sarah's uh, character and Michael oh, God. embodying the character who is super annoying. I will agree with that. Michael That's Sarah it. Just very annoying as a personality on screen. That's it. That he's I cannot so... empathize with him. Well, that's the problem. All. It's a movie. The 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 core. Even though he's is... playing a similar kind of meek character, like Simon Pegg would be in Shaun of the Dead. So it's interesting how personalities on screen can have kind of opposite affect some people he's just so dweeby he's playing is he's playing the michael sarah character right he's playing george michael from arrested development he is very nervous and awkward in a nervous kind of way it's a very one note stick yeah it's what it, uh then uh yeah oh, that lex luther guy tried to do in uh, jesse eisenberg yeah eisenberg's different i know eisenberg but he still tried to do the similar thing in terms of eisenberg talking and neurotic you know nervous guy on screen anyway Everyone was saying they were the same when when they when Eisenberg came on screen. I remember the, the moment when people stopped telling me that I looked like or was like Michael Sarah and started telling me that I was like Jesse Eisenberg. It was a clear transition point, like six months after Social Network came out, where it all changed for me. I didn't see it, but sure. I, yeah, I find the Scott character really annoying. Like the the moment when he like I see that. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, he's very one note. The moment when he comes in and talks to Ramona about Pac-Man, it's like, Jesus, can someone kill this guy? Like, I I'm rooting yeah. for the evil but, but it, it still didn't what take an annoying little nerd. an experience of the film. Sorry. I know the character is annoying, but for me, it didn't ruin the entire film. I still found the film to be quite enjoyable. So Right, right. Okay. Well, the, the, the issue for me is, is if there's an emotional core, right? Is it the relation? Is it the Scott dating Ramona? They're both aggressively unlikable. Scott is is the the nervous little dweeb, and Ramona is just the too hip for thou aloof girl, and that's it. 
the problem, um, and this the re this feeds into the bigger problem about what makes this movie really annoying for me, uh, is that it's always pitched at the same hyper caffeinated aggressive um, tone. So there's no time to actually build up any kind of relationship between Scott and Ramona or develop their characters beyond these flat types that we've spoken about. Um, so whether they're fighting or whether they're hanging out, it's always pitched at like the, the level of like gag, 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 visual effects, visual effects, visual effects, cut, 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 cut. Um, there's, I, I feel like having seven evil exes in this movie was a mistake. Um, I feel like they should have maybe cut it down to like three so that we could have spent some time on dates with Scott and Ramona and built that up. And maybe the movie could have had some heart and soul to it. Instead, I, I don't like these guys. I don't get to see much of their relationship. So when Scott says at the end that he's in love with her and gets the power of love sword, it totally falls flat. Yeah. I don't care. It is to be just honest, to be honest. Okay, before we get into the characters, I'd like to talk about the pacing of this film, what's being discussed. I disagree as regards watching the relationship build and this, the pace and the emphasis of this film being relentless. I think the action sequences, unlike what you see in Hot Fuzz and Short of the Dead, start at a certain level and maintain it level. So there's no sense of real buildup, except so at the very end, so we'll get to a little bit later. I do, however, think, and I think that's unfortunate because while as well as the action sequences are staged, it makes a number of them very samey. However, I think between a lot of those sequences, there is a lot of more quietly paced time. There are several sequences where we get to know the character, the two main characters individually and see the relationship develop. Um, the comment I made regarding um, the short and dead, the first film, where I felt I could have spent more time with Liz and Simon Pegg's character, that goes more so so for the two main characters in this, I would have gladly seen a longer film, which would have adapted and used more material from the comics. However, I still feel for reasons I'm going to go into that the relationship still was grounded and did resonate. What can you tell me about the relationship between Scott and Ramona beyond that he's a dweeb and she's aloof? Well, I disagree with that, the latter characterization. Let's talk about Scott Pilgrim first. I agree that he is a quite bland, dweebish, Michael Sarah-ish audience identification figure. I think he's playing, I don't think Michael Sarah, unlike Simon Pegg as the lead, really elevates that material. You see this a lot, brought this be across genres of films like The Dark Knight or a film we covered a couple of years back, Love, Simon, where the character is broadly generic and meant to be an identification figure for the intended broad audience. Um, I think, I don't have a huge issue with that, nor did I have an issue with a film like Dark Knight, where um, the real emphasis of the film is on the environment and is relatively plot driven and action driven what is going on around them so that didn't bother me as much I wish Michael Sarah had risen above the material but I've never seen him in a really great role I, I can accept that this is I think he's serviceable though I think there are actors who could have done this a lot better speaking to the Ramon Flowers character I'm going off more of the film a little bit conscious but more of the film I actually, I disagree with the characterization that she's simply aloof. I think she's outwardly aloof, but not intendedly so, which I think undermines the idea that she is herself smug. I think she's someone who, rather than being aloof, so let's continue with it, Chris. Oh, I was just gonna say, I really feel like you're taking her characterization from the, from the comics and putting it in the film, because I don't think we actually see any, I agree in the comics, but I don't think we actually see that in the film. She's pretty much cold to Scott throughout the entire thing. Um, I, again, I just, I, I, I take this from the film. I haven't read the comics in a little bit. I do recall them. I'm taking this off my very recent viewing. 
she is someone who, and we learned this both implicitly at the outset, but further as we as we learn that she, she has these 70 Alexas and that we have to just the combat them. I mean, it, it, it's, it's played out in the, in the language of an action film, but what this is really about, this whole film is individuals, two individuals, um, and the experience, bringing the experiences of previous relationships to their lives and to current relationships. I think someone who has, and it's very clear implicitly and explicitly that she's had negative experience in these relationships. So these experiences, these relationships, well, some of these people that have been implicitly bad weren't good for her. And that has created the persona and her character and who she is. I think when she meets others and she's um, a little bit removed and reserved and even hesitant, I don't think that signals aloofness or smugness. I think that signals someone who is cautious to open themselves up and get in the relationship. And therefore, I th and I think that bears out in some of the action sequences, um, including the final sequence, which I really like, which I'm going to go on to talk about in a little bit. Well, I think you're completely right that that's what it's meant to be with Ramona. But I think the movie is desperately needing some more time to actually draw out those themes. I feel like it, it is in the comic. Um, I'll get into the comic later, but I feel like in just taking the film for what it is, um, I don't think any major themes have time to ex express themselves and be drawn out because the whole thing is so overstuffed, um, because there's so much fighting, because there's so many side characters that they, they've chosen to pretty faithfully adapt um, the first few volumes of the comic before they ran out of material. Um, there's just so much going on that there's not much time to really explore that aspect of Ramona. So when they when they have a fight later in the movie, it just feels like like the years of plot that you always feel in romantic comedies, as opposed to like uh, you know like they they they're together. You they never they have no chemistry, right? I they have no chemistry because Scott's such a dweeb and Ramona's so aloof. I think just I'm just gonna add quickly. I think the problem with Ramona's character is less about her character and more about the point of view. A lot of this film is from the point of view of Michael Sarah's character and because his character is so annoying and we only see Ramona from his point of view, mostly. Ramona also comes across as a cardboard cutout, partially smug character. That may not be her character actually, if her character was afforded some kind of remove and distance, it's just because A, we are so conditioned to seeing everything from Michael Sarah's point of view in this film. And his character is just ostentatiously annoying to begin with. It's very hard mm. to relate with him. It makes every other character that he is trying to relate to in the film also somewhat annoying and difficult to relate with because he doesn't have any kind of, you know, real relationships in the movie. Okay, I disagree. I think when you say we see the her from his perspective, I think we see the narrative from his perspective, but uh, the way we see her, at least the way she's presented on screen, isn't filtered by some um, pilgrim fantasy or wish fulfillment. We see someone who at the outset is, um, I think, very real, who is hesitant to engage with him and others. Um, if it was from his perspective, you may see when they met in the library, you may have, you, you may have her acting cues may have signaled something more akin to what the music cues and his and his expression were doing, but they were not. I think it was very purposeful to this effect. Um, to the matter of their dynamic, I think there's a lot of scenes where they don't have chemistry. I think there's scenes where they do have chemistry. One scene I really liked, which I think was the strongest in terms of developing a relationship, I think they did have chemistry, is the scene where she goes back to, he goes, they, they go back to the house together. Um, she offers him tea. I actually think this is one of the sequences that are staged better than the comics. There's the wonderful shot where he opens his eyes and she's there. It's this beautiful shot of, 
uh, wonderfully framed in Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And I think that- On that note- and, Yep, go ahead, Chris. Uh, the, um, Edgar Wright as a filmmaker was better in terms of the formalism than Brian Lee O'Malley was as a comics writer um, at this point in the comics, for sure. So I agree with you that it's better staged. For the record, the latter, the latter volumes of Scott Pilgrim have some absolutely gorgeous framing. He advances a lot as an artist and gorgeous visual storytelling, but the early ones are a little slapdash. They're like the second and the first two volumes of the second and third uh, comics he ever wrote. So these are the ones I've read. Yeah, right. Um, so, uh, and, and this sequence, it goes really to the core of their relationship. Um, I love the way it plays out where um, they start but then she says that um, we're not going to have sex, but we can talk. And, and that this, looks direct from the comic, by the way. It, it was, but I love the way, but I think the chemistry and warmth between the characters all other comics came out in the film in the sequence. I agree. I, That's the one scene that I that I do feel it. I also think this is the, this is the sort of sequence that is very ordinary in terms of life, but not ordinary in cinema. And I think this is one of the better ones in the film for that. I think even now you wouldn't see this sort of scene portrayed into me mainstream films. Hmm. And I think the novelty of that, but also just the authenticity of it, helps the version of what I think has been said is not a very strong chemistry dynamic. I think. It does, and I, I think that bears out through a lot of the films. So I, I, I do think they, the, the casting of the pair, particularly, I know I think Mary Elizabeth Winstead carries this mostly, but um, I think the dynamic and relationship had a lot going for it as portrayed in the film. My, my issue, when I say that this thing's overstuffed, um, is that we barely see Scott and Ramona spend much time together after that first date. So I, I really think the movie needed less fights so that we could have spent some more time with their relationship. It would be longer. I would happy have, have a longer movie. We could have done a longer movie. I think trying to cram in all seven into one movie was foolish. I, I, but I honestly think if it had to be one movie, there should have been three or four battles um, instead of six. And then we, we could have actually spent some time with Scott and Ramona beyond their first date. To me, the lack of, as I perceive it, like development in how their relationship is depicted, I agree there's something to that very first date. But since we don't see much of it for the rest of the movie, it doesn't feel like they've actually progressed to a very deep point in their relationship. So then, um, yeah, like I said, when Scott says I'm in love with her, to me, it fell flat. Um, and it added to the general feeling of juvenilia of this movie that like it, it feels like it's like a high school crash level kind of relationship to me at this at the point that the movie ends but the movie's but treating it, it like a bigger also, deal it is, it is kind of bad who had, he's acting like a high schooler i mean i know he's 22 this is a formative film for so many of our generation god i mean i know he's 22 but he's dating a high schooler he's acting the way he lives it's very much like oh yeah high school entirely rather than 22 year old so it is about arrest development no pun intended it yeah, is yeah, about yeah. <laughs> and so when he says he loves her, I don't take that as a, I have found love. I have, got, I have processed the full consequence of this and what this actually means. I think it's a 22 year, uh, an 18 year, a 22 year old with an 18 year old. 16 year old, yeah. 18 year old, my love 22 year old body. It's super cool, yeah. Um, when you mentioned him dating a high schooler, that's one of my issues with this movie um, that Ellen Wong to me just flat out doesn't look like a 17 year old which takes away a little bit of the shock and the, the point of how bad what Scott's doing is. To me, she looks like an Asian young woman in her 20s, which she is. She was 25 when this movie came out. She does not, she look, and the, the issue is that Scott looks, like Michael Younger. Sarah looks about Younger. the same age as her. 
I would say Scott looks younger than than. Yeah, uh, possibly he uh, looks younger yeah. than Knives. So the 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 uh, I, in that sense that was a mis- the weird grooming the weird grooming aspect or like the weird age difference, which right. is kind of because Scott in possibly could be creepy doesn't come come through. The, yeah, it is. It is wrong, as the, everyone always points out to Scott. But Scott's really not grooming her. He's just um, enjoying having a companion who really loves him at a time when he feels happy yeah, yeah, yeah. to bring yeah. in some knowledge from the comic, just to be, uh, yeah, not defending him. I know. I, I, I would. I would yeah. see that like reading the comics would actually would uh, definitively alter my perception of the film. Uh, so uh, I'm going to preserve my perception of the film until I read the comics. Can, I'm never going to watch the film again. <laughs> can I say something about Knives? All right. I'm bringing in some extra contextual knowledge, but I, I thought it, it explained a lot of things to me about the movie. When this was originally shot, the ending of the movie was that Scott breaks up with Ramona and gets back with Knives, right? But the test audiences rightfully thought that that was unconscionable, so they did a reshoot. But for me, I can feel it in the movie uh, the, the, there's a moment near the end where uh, Scott um, is talking to Knives a bit before, after he's fighting the Katayanagi twins and um, not, he's like, oh, wow, Knives, you really came. And there's the moment of like them holding eye contact with each other. And in that moment, I felt like the movie was doing more to engineer chemistry between them than it had with Scott and Ramona since their first date. And they ju- they've just had a shitty relationship breakup that doesn't feel genuine feels like romantic comedy gears turning here's the breakup part um and she's been so aloof to him for so long that in that moment it did feel like there was more warmth between scott and ramona and because of the lack getting into spoiling the ending um because of the lack of chemistry that i felt between them for most of the movie and the lack of depth to their relationship when they say you know let's try again at the end i kind of thought and um knives saying you know go after her and and I, I kind of thought, why? Like, it's a good time for all these characters to go their separate ways. But that would never happen in a Hollywood movie of this budget. I don't think it's Hollywood. I feel that, and it's similar to, I did, I'm not saying it's on the level of the storm, but I'm reminded of the film we discussed last year, The Apartment, where the ending isn't, we're together now. It's No, it's let's try again. We're, we're here to give this a go, because there's but, here, we're young, we've been on a few dates, Mm. Let's, give it a, let's give it a try that feels real to me and i more than bought it yeah I, I don't know i just kind of thought like why bother like they clearly don't gel that well that's how i read the movie I, I disagree. And, and this goes to the what i really like about the ending scene of the film um so much of the action in this is played out in terms of guy um trying to save a girl damsel from tower but that's not actually what that's how the action is that's not actually what's happening like any a more hollywood film would have had ramona like tied to a chair or imprisoned by whatever because that's not what's happened um she has freedom thought here she's just emotionally mentally um impacted by her poor previous relationships and and she and the whole fighting is this analogy for yes i'm willing to acknowledge that and work with and who you are and accept that this is a, a part of you it's the idea that I hate the term baggage, and I use it because it's used in the film, but that it's something that um, people bring to relationships, that it can be negative, but it also informs individuals. I think there's a maturity to that. And that also bears through with um, when, when he showed the maturity of people to do this, that yes, so when, when it comes to the final scene, I buy that we're going to give this a go because she feels that he's earned that and that yeah. he is worthy of, they're, that they're worthy, they are worthy of this relationship. 
and that right. feels authentic to me. Well, when I was saying that it's all kind of all action all the time, it like I draw a comparison to Speed Racer in movies that tried to use um, visual effects in new ways to introduce comic book um, transitions, editing, background, etc. That movie had the, these hyper kinetic action scenes as well, but it knew to slow down the drama so that there was an emphasis felt. Whereas I feel like the the dramatic scenes, maybe outside of that first date with Ramona, are all just so fast paced. Like nothing is really landing beyond the jokes. I think I can see your point. I mean, this film could have done with a bit more breathing room in terms of the characters. Just And also just the style is extremely visually aggressive and that's enjoyable at points, but there comes a time when enough's enough. But it's also, I think the style being that way is particular to a particular zeitgeist. I think Scott Pilgrim versus the world as a film is very much a late teenage movie for a lot of people. Mm. And it's formative for that reason. I don't think it's a film that caters to an audience beyond that. But even if you watch it today, you can kind of relive the kind of person you were when you did enjoy those movies, right? And you were kind of that person as well at some point in time. So if anything else, this movie, despite its limitations, is very much a time capsule of what kind of person you know, a lot of people were. Back it then. captured a zeitgeist for a lot of yeah, guys. It did. It did. Totally totally who I was when I watched this and who I am now, a very different person. Mm. And it's nice to go back and watch it and reflect on that, actually. Before yeah. we close out on this movie, um, I, can I draw some comparison points to the comics as relates to issues I found problematic about the film? Yeah, yeah I haven't read, read it, but I'm going to read the comics yeah. uh, after this discussion. For, for the record, I... Um, you know, there's a bit near the end. It's not, not many big spoilers, so just general sure, things. No, no, yeah, yeah, okay. just general yeah, I do want to read the comics now. They're good. Yeah, they're good. The, the, uh, in the end part where he's entering into Gideon's hipster club or whatever, um, yeah. the second time around, you can hear some people going like, yeah, the comics were better than the movie in the background, <laughs> which is funny, but it's also very true. For the record, with adaptation, I always think you need to take something for what it is, right? Yeah. Uh, my issue is not that the movie is not the comics, I just felt like the differences are interestingly illustrative of aspects that regardless of the comics, I, I feel the film falls flat on. Adaptation's really hard, you know? Yeah. But the movie in some ways I compared to Watchmen in that on paper, it's extremely close to the comics. The replicating, like the visual identity of the characters is so close. Like when you look at Stacey Pilgrim in the comics, it's like, how could this be anyone but Anna Kendrick? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, I, I, I think it's, there's some artists, I, I, I haven't read the later comics. I have an issue with some of the rendering of the faces per emotiveness. Um, Stacy? No, just generally. Um, but the, the way- art gets better. As I say, the art gets much better by the, the sixth volume. The way the comics are action orientated and have momentum, I think even from the very beginning are uh, very well handled. That's what I lo- most liked about them. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I'd compare it to Watchmen and being extremely faithful on some levels, but like fundamentally missing the point. Again, the movie's allowed to be its own thing, but the vibe I got from the comics is that um, the fights are meant to be this funny kind of intrusion of extreme comic book and anime-inspired action into an indie comic about slackers. It's a slower-paced slacker vibe, right? I feel like 
the choice to make the movie hyperkinetic and to directly translate a lot of aspects of the comic book panels. Like for example, when Knives says, you know, I'm in love with you and it becomes this big like love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that was a mistake because this, I feel like one, the yeah, movie needs- I, I, wouldn't, I would not have thought of this film as a slacker uh, film. Yeah, it's a slacker indie kind of vibe. And the central okay. gag of it is how that status quo is interrupted by these super magic powered, ridiculous fights. And the choice to make everything hyper gags coming at you, CGI, visual yeah. effects. I can see how um, that's fundamentally altering the actual yeah, uh, it fundamentally, fiber, it fiber of the, of the of right. thing. On one level, it's, it's ultra faithful, but it's a different medium. Those things come with comic. That's using the medium of comics. When you translate that into film, it makes the whole thing feel like it's a fantasy. Whereas, you know, the comic book having a lot more slower paced stuff and downtime and more time spent on Scott and Ramona's dates, for example. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's that indie. Rounded and a bit more sort of real. Yeah. Like the fourth comic volume of the, of the comics was about Scott trying to get a new job and, uh, and <laughs> how, you know, to progress his relationship with Ramona. Like it, it, it's a different vibe. It's fundamentally different, but okay. I feel like that gag of the super ex boyfriends coming into the is you know coming into this like normal tw early twenties slackers in Vancouver thing wasn't worth losing in exchange for making this movie like this high all out blitzkrieg of of style. Um, it makes the whole thing feel more fundamentally nerdy. Um, yeah, you know, it pushes the emphasis towards the the video. It fundamentally game. changes your the visual language. That's right. Yeah. Like I said, yeah. something like translating something directly as it appears in the comics to film doesn't register as the same thing. It registers. Yeah. yeah. Unless you remember, there's only actually one scene in this film where the graphics are not deployed to create a greater sense of space in the naturalistic environment where, and where the set itself is used to that purpose. And through at the very opening title scene where they go backward while, and the room just becomes, if we've noticed that the room where they're practicing with the band just bigger than it actually is and that sort of visual trickery which right otherwise deploys something like at world's end mm. can be a lot more effective and i appreciate it's harder to do and to be more prohibitive and that um, part so of this their world's end is the form. Mm. part of this is, is the form mm. but with i'm um, using like the uh, the lightning for when they're playing guitar but i would have liked a better mix thereof rather than just this um a couple of times we saw that sort of approach at the very beginning, like at the very beginning. Yeah, I agree. Um, and again, movie can be its own thing. I wouldn't mind the all out Blitzkrieg approach if I didn't feel like I was being cheated of relationship time and developing the friendships. And I feel like the movie's unbalanced. And so I only bring up this comic difference because I feel like staying truer to that would have solved my biggest problem with the film. I, th I think you justified in your point of view. It's just that I don't have the sort of side context of the comics. So right. as a film by itself, it was still a... pretty enjoyable. And I, and I do feel it is more nostalgic uh, for me in hindsight rather than, rather than you know, nitpicky. So right, right, right. I can um... let go of all the issues. But I do agree with the character of Scott, which I still find ultra annoying. And that did uh, cause my greatest issues in film. Right. Um, there's a couple of things that, ways that this movie is dated badly that, like, I don't know, uh, Virat, you can tell me how, how you reacted to this as someone who's actually Indian, but I remember when this movie, um, <laughs> and not just me being offended on your behalf, no, but when, when this movie came out, I remember cringing when Matthew Patel starts doing a Bollywood number, 
Oh yeah, yeah. Because, I had blocked that out in, from my right. head. Right, because in in the comic, it's just he's just singing because they're at the Battle yeah. of the Bands. There's yeah, nothing yeah. suggesting there's an Indian um, theme yeah. going to it. But but that's the thing. I, I think because the film treats everything like a fantasy, I did not. I did not feel offended because this was in the fair. Like everything is an exaggeration. So <laughs> right. it made sense that even this would be exaggerated. Yeah, yeah. It, fair it enough. He, in the comics, he's got the yeah. the same lyrics and the demon hipster chicks and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like, does he have to be a Bollywood just because he's Indian? Exactly. I remember in but the because theater, every, like, like, oh, like man, you said, like you said in, in the and, film, everything is turned to not 11, but like 21. Right. And it kind of made sense. Like, how do we make this even more absurd and bigger? Of course, it's a Bollywood number. Like, yeah, right. And something else that's translated from the comics, but amped up is like all the jokes about Stephen Stills being gay. But like, I felt it's, it's oh, yeah, kind of- yeah, yeah. Like that, so that, 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 that's not, that has not aged. That's not aged well. That, that stuff all, is in the comics, all. but to a much lesser extent in the movie, they've added more lines about you're gay, 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 gay. And uh, yeah, it-, it But also it's I think it's still honest in the sense, we've, we've all been there where like, not, not that I've been that person, but like the, I, I know my, some friends of mine who were those people who used to like use gay that way as if like, you know. Oh, it's funny that you're gay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I still think this film has strong amount of representation. I think, I'm not excusing anything, but I think it's important the context of this film or which characters um, do say that. Mm -hmm. And I think the number of uh, LGBT characters, especially a film at this time is important and rare. That's true. And especially, and we're not just talking about a side character who's noted as gay, it's a central character who has an intimate part of the main character's life. I don't think this film is uh, making cheap shots. I, yeah, I just think it feels a bit strange the way that everyone's so fixated on it for comedy. I, I think I think it's it again a zeitgeist thing. I think it's it's, it's a it's time capsule. Thing of the time, yeah, it's a time. It's a thing of the times. It, it was. It was hasn't dated as badly as Friends. Yeah, yeah, no. But, um, um, I watched some Friends last night. It's never been great. That's right, and it's, it's worse now. It was just on TV. Just for for point of comparison, last thing I wanted to say about the comics, they really bent Scott to Michael Sarah's persona in the comics. Like large aspects of the dialogue and it's and even the framing are taken from the comics. But in the comics, Scott is awkward, but more in the sense that he's so exuberant. Like he can't, like he he's he's not nervous like Michael Sarah. He's excessively confident and uh kind of cocky and brash. Um, so it, it's a completely different character to Michael Sarah. And also Ramona oh, okay. came across as a lot warmer in the comics. She comes across the comics still touch into. I think she's a warm character, and I, I do. And the reason discussed, I do think that does come across at every at any juncture in the film. Um, a lot of due to changing, a lot due to um, Winstead. The, Winstead's great. It's just there's in the comics. She's you know, it's a different kind of dynamic, right? Like uh, Scott is this kind of awkward, um, kind of clumsy, kind of sometimes cocky guy, and Ramona kind of teases him. She smiles a lot more. She doesn't smile much in this movie. That's these are the things that make me say she's aloof. And I just don't understand why they made these changes. But I, but I think that again is reflective of her negative experiences, which is informed. The comics, for the record, that approach. Good. The comics go a lot. Right. For the record, I mean, yeah, the comics are a lot longer, but the comics go a lot deeper into her her past negative experiences and how they've formed her. But they all do so while managing to make her more multi-dimensional and she also has this warm likable she's very know. much a manic pixie I, 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 i've said that I've, I've said what i've said about um the element of her warmth 
of a character. Um, I, I again, I think, just... I think it's a matter of adaptation. I do think the film as four just could have had um, more see scenes. Just like you said, just interesting character. Mm. I want to more about her from the context of the film. It's just in in all scenes except for the first date, the dynamic more seems to be that he's this kind of like awkward nerd, and she's kind of turned off by it. That's how I read it. Did you? Yeah, how do you feel it? That wasn't my perception of it. That's not how. I think I, I don't think she was turned off by him. I think she felt that she wasn't in a position. She wasn't sure about him and wasn't in a position and, and more sure that she wasn't in a position to date him, an arc which she herself goes through throughout the film. It's not a complete arc to I want to date you now. It's again mm. to I'm willing to give this a try for myself because I want that. Again, I just wish we'd cut a lot of the material they adapted from the comics to focus more in on their relationship so that I could have felt some more multi-dimensionality from both Scott and Ramona. They're both, they both felt like types, you know? And I, I don't think that being um, a person who has had these negative experiences and been shaped by that means that she needs to be as like, she's so hip, you know? I felt like she's depicted as being like, when I say cold, it's kind of like, I'm too hip for you. That's kind of the vibe I get versus like but Scott like, the dweeb. Scott is, Scott is kind of punching up eventually. Did, did you feel like that? Right. Oh, I mean, because once again, it's Michael Sarah <laughs> trying to date anyone. Would trying like to date Mary Elizabeth Winstead would feel me much. <laughs> of, course, of course, he would. You know, so I mean, it, part of it is that, in, in fact, a lot of it is, is that, like you said, the, if the character of Scott has been molded or reshaped to suit <laughs> Michael Sarah's personality, then of course, you know, this is a problem that's going to come up. Uh, <laughs> because I don't have the context of the comics, I'm less attached. What maybe that's the problem that I can't been, detach myself from. Like, maybe like, this wouldn't know, be as much of a problem for me. Yeah. But I did feel like I still feel Scott is very annoying, and I still feel that Carl's my perception of I could have enjoyed the film more, but I still enjoyed what the film itself was. The film does a lot of things really well. There's some great yeah. formalism to it. Some sequences are a lot of fun to watch, but as Glenn said, it gets samey. The battles are very the same, and, and scenes that aren't like the battles feel I like. I feel like this more than uh, maybe haven't spoken about yet. There's some great ones like Brandon Routh, who's good in this. Brie Larson, the scene in the room behind the stage is great. Um, the person who plays Ramona's ex-girlfriend is really funny. I forgot, I've forgotten that sequence. Oh. I thought she was great. The, I'm just a little by furious line, yeah, love, which love. is so funny um, that, that it got used from the draft of the script and put into the comic. It's too good. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> so that is Scott Pilgrim versus The World. And it's on Stan, which is where I watched it. It's a popular movie. It bombed on release, but it lives in cult infamy forever. <laughs> we are sex the bomb! One, two, three, four! Yeah, we've just returned from a break, but uh, we're back. I just had a thought about Scott Pilgrim. I was saying we before- We have had many thoughts about this I, movie. I did. Yeah. I, I, I'm yeah. censoring myself and keep constraining it down to this. But we were talking before about how in Hot Fuzz, basically every joke lands. There are some real clunkers in Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, yeah. It, this is not- Okay, I see Scott Pilgrim as a film that 
is so much a film of its zeitgeist that seeing it now almost 10 years later mm. feels like it's a film that I would have really loved back then when I was that years old. Yeah, right. And, I was and dis- now I can still go back to being that kid. Mm. I can understand I- how problematic I was in my own opinions as well. well anyway, it's a, it's a good reflection of who I was. I, I was disappointed when it came out, but I liked it less revisiting it now. I was so hyped for it coming after Hot Fuzz. But I think maybe part of it, when you say about the product of the zeitgeist, and, and yeah. is that at the time, it was probably refreshing to see such a big budget nerd film. Also, it's not the most PC film, as you rightly say. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, I think there's something honest about that because it wasn't such a PC time. Oh, it wasn't well. such a PC time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 2010. That was like the, the high years of edgy humor. Yeah, that yeah. was the it's, time it's, when James Gunn got, was, said stuff that he later regretted on Twitter. Pretty much. It seems to be the appetite humor was uh, taking off. It was the in thing at the time. It, everything was edgy and cool. And mm. this just kind of, this was intellectual enough that it was like it was for the edgy teen for you know uh, bourgeois teen for edgy edgy teens kind of bourgeois movie for edgy teens kind of thing i've said all i wanted to say about scott pilgrim and simply say that they consider the approach it takes to relationships and early adult relationships as articulated earlier and i think that it is on the side of people who feel out of place mm. or like the side again for reasons discussed I think recommends the Hmm. film and I still think it resonates. I was very much close to the age of the individuals in the film when I watched this for the first time in release and therefore it did resonate with me. It doesn't resonate as much now simply because um, that era for me is a little bit out of sight of the mind as would be for anyone. The film came out 11 years ago Hmm. but I still and it is a product of time i think there are things about relationships that are universal that the film can still translate and there are um, other things that are very much 2010 and i'm fine for a film to be both universal and contemporaneous to its time most of the best films are sure i I think just what i was saying about nerdiness at the time it was like wow the big budget movie can be this nerdy it's almost like it's like a kevin smith level movie that with like a hundred million dollar budget um yeah the budget was pretty up there but now it's like Please give me less nerdy stuff. I'm sick of the nerds. But it's also, but it's also the time when, in the popular zeitgeist, you have things like Big Bang Theory taking off, mm. and you know that's like the beginning of that sort of wave. Nerd exploitation. Yeah, yeah. The, the nerds are cool again. You know, nerds are sexy, brainy, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever you know, nerd culture is really in, mm. in popular culture. I, I don't think this really leans into that i think this is more still in the vein of the 80s rap punkish style movement where it's about people who just feel a little bit like outsiders i think so and i, I think super performance super bad too who also leans to that i think specifically leaning into quote-unquote nerd culture as terrible show we've just mentioned big bang theory does and other things do <laughs> is very distinct i think this film is very particular in its approach to music but I think it shows an eclecticism and I think it follows the ideas of music aficionados rather than pop culture nerds. Mm, but th- there's a very, there's a, the video game aspect of it, I feel is stronger in the film than in the comics. I should stop comparing it to the comics, yeah. but I mean, I mean, the, the aggressively one thing, video yeah. gaminess the does feel very thing, nerdy to me combined yeah. with like Scott's persona of like, oh, he's the, lo- he's a bit more, he's a bit of a loser in, in terms of how he's, if that's fair to say, maybe it's not. I mean, the one good thing you've convinced me to do, Chris, is that 
I should go and read the comics, not to compare them, but yeah, to understand and a lot of fun. the differences in tone, essentially. Because, uh, I mean, I would not have seen that Scott Pilgrim could have been a slacker film or, you know, had a slacker tone to it if you had mentioned it. And now I want to see how that could have been incorporated. So, you know, that's interesting in it of itself. Hope you like them. Yeah, cool. I still like this better than uh, they, Baby they don't say... We'll get to that, yeah. Well, we'll get to that in due time, but there's one more film standing in our way. Which it's I like a, a lot, actually. It's number two in terms of my face, baby. Interesting. Yeah, I don't, I don't agree. It's my, look, I like this film a lot, like I do any other Edgar Wright film. It's at World's End. It is, however, my least. No, favorite. no, it's not. I'm tired. We've clarified this. It's the World's End. I also saw it on release. I've seen it a few times since, actually. It's one that's just come up on TV and else. The World's End is the third film in the Kaneda trilogy, and it is about a slacker who has experienced, has experienced serious arrest development in his life. Um, shades thereof of Shaun of the Dead lives in a small English town. All his high school chums have since moved on. They all, he decides, in case you haven't seen this film in a while, oh, I'm going to bring them back together to complete the Golden Mile and smash through all the pubs in this village in one night and have a pint at each and get to the world's mm. end. I think the reason that I don't like this compared, I, I like this less than the others is earlier I referred to the idea how I didn't like what was the one most major conventional thing about a lot of rights projects where it just escalates, it escalates until it gets really big. In this one, it does that, but to such a weird, crazy crescendo where the world actually ends. I get that's the title of the film and the title of the pub, but it was just too much of a leap from here's the story about this guy who um, wants to reunite with his friends and have one crazy night to here's um, the world being over. I can get the arc of hot fuzz from small town cop to um, destroying this village, which I, in the context of this sort of universal style is more digestible. And this particularly the final act would just went way over the top for me. Well, I didn't have um, so much a problem with the escalation, but I see where you're coming from in that I felt like the first act of this film was note perfect. Yes. Like the, everything and I, until the sci-fi twist, I feel it was flawless. And I feel like the film loses its footing a bit when they introduced the sci-fi aspect. I, I, it almost made me want to just watch an Edgar Wright movie about this pub crawl without any of the fantastical elements because I was enjoying the character stuff, the way the differences between these men and the, and the extremely good performances, which seem to have been written to give Peg and Nick Frost a, a character switch from the types <laughs> that they played in the first two in the trilogy. I, I, everyone is flexing their muscles. The way that Gary King, Simon Pegg's character, has stayed exactly the same <laughs> or is clinging as much as possible to the way things were while everybody else has moved on is simultaneously sad and hilarious. Um, it reminds me of Jason Sudeikis' character in They're the Millers. No, um, if you're going to watch Enjoy the Sci-Fi Elements, we'll go watch They Live. A film yeah, it's, it, this is along the lines of They Live. Um, invasion of the Body Snatches, I would say, is probably the primary thing. Um, and... It's very hard sci-fi in some regards. It's, you know, the, the place that it goes to in the final act. But man, just the level of scummery, like the, the, the dead mum story that Gary tells. Oh my God. <laughs> or the, the, how the, the, the car is still- Nick, The reaction of Nick Frost when that happens, it's actually just so strong. I, I think it's my favorite performance from him in any film. Yeah, he's brilliant. Um, and Simon Pegg is brilliant as well. 
also the the bit about how the car is still registered in his friend's name oh man he's got the ban at the pub yeah brilliant uh and the jacket he just he just nails it yeah uh, the, ja- the jacket yeah yeah the episode uh, of uh, goes out with the guy from high school and it's still the guy from high school yeah 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 nothing's changed um i unabashedly loved this film uh, mostly because i think it gets the balance that Shaun of the dead was trying to strike between the gag funny humor and the actual poignancy of the emotional beats you know you want to think tell this is... basically an emotionally resonant film story essentially hmm. but with gags thrown in this is switching that around the gags are there but the gags are there mostly as a second thought, the actual story is the emotional story of this person trying to realize that he has to grow up. And also dealing with alcoholism as an escape, which another round also try to do, deal with. You know, you're dealing with humor and a lot of serious subjects through comedy, which... It's interesting you know, because all through the, the Cornetto... Time, I feel. Martin Freeman got his head blown off, which is very, very funny. <laughs> it's interesting because all through the Cornetto trilogy, especially in Shaun of the Dead, again, the two Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright movies, not the Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg. And I feel like you can feel the difference, Um, especially in those two, but it's there in Hot Fuzz as well because it's such a key part of English culture and English lad culture. The the focus on alcoholism in in this is really interesting. They took that idea to its conclusion. I know, know, Chris, you mentioned the sisterly uh, brotherhood in uh, Shaun of the Dead. I think this film delves into that a lot deeper in terms of what bonding is about. And actually, it, it actually, I think, strikes, it hits it note perfect. I don't think many films have been able to do that about how male culture is all about needing to drink or getting a drink. Getting because out of your mind. the only time they're allowed to actually express themselves. Express their emotions. Yeah. You know, allowed to be vulnerable slightly. So yeah. the idea of actually the, act, the cultural act of getting a drink mm. becomes you know, a precursor that you keep returning to because the more you need, need to go out, get off your chest, the more drinks you need to get as well. And so actually, that's a nice gag that's explored in the film as well. And I think there's, in the context of another round, we talked about how there are, I think a nuanced film can show, it's not just going to say drinking is good or bad. There's positive relationships with alcohol and negative relationships with alcohol. I think this film, not all the time, it shows ultimately a negative relationship with alcohol, but it shows how it can be positive in friends bonding over the long term, how you can have alcohol sometimes in your life and all you can have moderate amounts. The Nick Frost character says, I haven't had a drink, I think it's 16 years. Mm. And then come back and there's that scene where he's just smashing these pints for the first time in two decades. And it feels both like a little bit sad, but overwhelmingly funny, but also just positive. Like, yep, he's having a good time. Mm. He's ha- leads a- we want to have a good time. We want to get loaded. <laughs> And now he's like, yeah, I'm going to have some drinks with my friends and I relive my glory high school days. Cool. So there's the, this balance. I love the way that the inertia of the night just kind of pulls it, everyone into it. Yeah. So true to life. <laughs> the, funniest Gary, scene in the, film, yeah. the funniest scene in the film was Gary King. You know, when Edgar Wright told the shot and you see him trying to jump across the fences and he keeps tripping over. Oh, yeah. Gags are, <laughs> gags are gold in all three films. Yeah. I, I don't like this as much as Shaun of the Dead because I think Shaun of the Dead balanced every aspect better um, in terms of pacing and the mix of comedy and, and the action. But I agree, this goes a lot deeper and ultimately it's much more emotional than Shaun of the Dead to me. Um, I felt like there's real genuine pathos at the end when Gary's talking about how um, this is all he has left, and he's desperate to pour that that beer. 
Yeah. Um, I like I th how this film has a thematic richness. It's speaking to the alcoholism where everything's falling apart. It makes no sense to keep drinking, but he just has to keep doing it. Um, I also really liked the way it expanded on the theme that was there to a small extent in Hot Fuzz. It comes to the prominence here about um, England losing its character. The, the quirks of small towns disappearing as corporatism rolls across the landscape. I, and I like that it speaks to those themes in a way that everyone could grasp without being, I think, too on the nose. I think, I, the, I think it, it's very so much, well written. It, it, it's very much a political film in terms of its anti-capitalist narrative. Hmm. And I think that's why, I mean, this is, this is once again a long stretch. I, I, kind, I didn't mind that kind of sci-fi twist because I see that as the unwelcome invasion essentially of capitalist culture within smaller English towns. If you can read it that way. Conformity, that is, you know, yeah, conformity to take away that. people's wild edges and exactly. take away the character of the pubs, the, the character of the towns, Pretty everything. Much. We take away the options. And, and because like the whole film is very much broad brushing, it's not essentially very particular. I think I could make that broad thematic jump and that connection and didn't irk me as much as maybe you guys. Mm. I think there's, there's you, you go anywhere in England and you see that there's a conflict between the Witherspoons and like all the small town privately owned pubs. For the listeners who haven't spent time in the UK, Witherspoons is a chain that takes over old English pubs, doesn't really change anything, but changes little things, but then standardizes the menu and what is served. And um, a lot of people like it, certainly I do, but a lot of people are resistant to it. <laughs> Maryvale. <clears throat> uh, I, I, I want you to say, anything uh <laughs> I, I do like thick on the park I'll, I'll, I'll give him that but yeah well I, I, with, with spoons is even more probably anyhow uh it's something that is at the heart of a lot of tension in small towns and i love that um they even in Shaun of the dead which is set in london that it was set in more decentralized suburban areas that mm. these are all very relatable films mm. I, I do think that um one of the issues for me I have with this movie, or the reason why, despite finding it quite touching and emotional and um, deeper than Shaun of the Dead, is I feel like the action gets a little bit repetitive. Did you guys feel that? Yeah. Sort Not of. just repetitive, but the thing is, look, with, with, with Shaun of the Dead, it was established pretty quickly that... It, here are the sort of things you can't just smash a zombie. Here are the sort of things you have to do to kill one. In Hot Fuzz, you're dealing with individuals who are how intelligent as Nicholas Angle. I'm going to keep calling him that, damn it. And as for this, all you had to do was swing a pure pull cute and alien or throw a book at them, and their heads explode in glue. So, oh, how tough are they? Are they made of porcelain? They break the, really easily. It would have been yeah, the rules weren't established early on, essentially. Because were, the rules were established, they were just weak. The, hmm. the problem is that. And it would have been fine if there was a critical mass of them, but there weren't. There weren't too many until the very end. Mm -hmm. So it's not a matter. It wasn't as yeah. action. It was much more easy to just take them out. I really like the extended cast of this. I love Pierce Brosnan, especially his late career, later career in anything. We've talked about Rosamund Pike before. She's great in everything. She's really fun in this. I also like that. This is the only other film where Rosamund Pike and Pierce Boston have reunited since the end of the day. Hmm. Oh God, you didn't have to remind me of that. <laughs> that was not a good memory. And I blocked that film out of it. Out of you know, okay, Down of the Dare is a bad film. Anyway, it really isn't. And it was nice just seeing them back together on screen. I, I also just, I spent a lot of time in British pubs, and it was just nice 
popping between all these, like the Winchester and the pub in Hot Fuzz Town, and just seeing mm. yeah, there's a real deep affection for English pub life. Like I, I said, someone didn't mention Hot Fuzz, and it's evident on the display here too. Usually, when you go to a film and you see a scene of the pub, it's like at this crescendo or this major um, action event. There's just a lot of bits here where people are just sitting around at the pub, chatting, having a pint, and I, I like that. It's so incredibly well written. Those parts, like I said, if any, if anything, it's the sci-fi aspect that lets it down. Um, actually, I mean, uh, thinking about that, uh, this is the one thing in terms of comedy and how to frame comedy. And I'm thinking about which is very opposite to Bo, Bo Burnham's insight from last week. And now we're thinking about it is the uh, picking your targets and who your targets are. I mean, given that uh, it's very gag rich kind of uh, story of Edgar uh, Wright's kind of stuff. He's never punching down on anybody. They, his targets are never the warm English culture, the pubs, or what you know. There's so much warmth and so much generosity towards a lot of English life, mm. even though he's picking his targets where he needs to be. Yes, there's absurdism and ridiculous things happening and zombies and whatever, but there is still very clear demarcations of what needs to be held to a higher regard, what needs to be romanticized, which is always, you know, the little guys in the little towns, people who don't have a voice often are the ones that are championed in these movies, which make them kind of warm and fuzzy, hot fuzzy or whatever. <laughs> yeah, there is a, on, on that note, the film strikes a really good balance between pointing out what's pathetic about Gary um, but, and how awful he can, and manipulative he can be, but also having affection for him without feeling like it's cutting him slack, without giving him a break, without romanticizing him. I think it's very true to life in a lot of ways. It's um, like we don't get these kind of comedies anymore. It's not, they're, they're cheap. The gags are not cheap. That's they're it. Very well it earned. They're very well right, earned. Wright's films were are a bit of an anomaly when they came out. But as I said earlier in the show, something like this coming along now is unthinkable. Can you imagine a studio putting this out now with like this kind of budget behind this kind of script? Ending, no. Al no. Aliens are friends or uh, aliens are either your friendly superheroes or your extreme enemies. And if they're mm. They're like dripping with blood and want to bring darkness to the world, which is not what's going on here. Yeah. And and there, there's I like the idea that kind of comes through that like it's okay to fuck up. You know, the two yeah, are as yeah. human. But I mean, I mean, you're talking about the slacker element in Scott Pilgrim. This is a this is a slacker film. This is very much an indie slacker kind of film, to be honest. Well, the character the part before it turns to sci-fi route, right? I mean, uh, all of these but it's a it's a buddy film with a slacker tone. Where people have to get together and kind of—I mean, the, that idea of the characters not not so much gelling with each other, but then the madness of a pub crawl, yes. drawing them all back in—is a fresh concept. It is. It is. That's why I keep saying the film almost didn't need the sci-fi stuff. Like that aspect is so compelling and unique. But that's the other thing. I mean, the film is almost a commentary in itself. It's okay to fuck up, and Edgar Wright is kind of saying it's even okay to fuck mm. up about the script. He's trying things. Yeah. 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 Um, so, and that's yes. I kind of find it still raw and ambitious, much more ambitious than a lot of other comedies made today, where they're trying to go for a template. This film mm. is not going for a template. It's trying different things and going in directions which you would not expect. I mean, you can chart out the, the normal course of a film in the first, second, mm. and third act, but it does kind of take you by surprise. Yes, it doesn't land. But I don't think that's the point. I don't, I don't, I don't want my comedies to be picture perfect and be like, oh, everything lined up perfectly. It had X number of gags that made me laugh every five minutes or whatever. Well, that's the I reason why this sort of thing something fresh and exciting. It's yeah. a risk. 
and even you know th as you say you don't see films like this very often even as the third part of this loose trilogy this film feels really fresh what else is there like it not not a lot I mean, we're, i'm talking about we're talking about at least in my view the least of the films we're covering this week and it's great really you think this is the least of all of the films wow that's interesting i, I already <laughs> said that i said that at the very beginning of the review yes i think this is of the five this is my least favorite um, only really due to the escal the major escalation at the end and the, I think, a too significant tonal shift. I, I, you, did you not like the confrontation with the Bill Nye alien network? <laughs> I wanted that in a different movie. If Wright had gone for a full They Live Invasion of the Body Snatchers alien sci-fi parody, I feel it would have been fine. I, lo I loved at the beginning of Hot Fires and Chili Shaun of the Dead, how the tropes of the genre were just integrated into gags. And this didn't happen until much later. It feels like as good as it was that parts of it were performed. We needed to have this genre mix up because it's a part of the Condetto trilogy. I'm fine with him including it. I wish he had just gone for either a full-fledged approach or a drama about these guys spending two hours running between these pubs, which I glad drama comedy, which I gladly would have watched. Yeah, I did feel the disappointment in that um, in that switch, and I, I feel like the, the film lags a bit, but there's still enough great gags along the way. And I actually, I really, in, even in this film, I really liked that final conversation where they they defend their right to be fuck ups. I, I felt it was a nice way for me tying the themes together. That that final meeting, I, I I felt so too. I think it was emotionally cathartic to kind of feel like okay, we've come to an end of an era, and we kind of did come to an end of an era. Uh, it was the Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, Edgar Wright era. It kind of mm. did feel like that from two thousand seven onwards. Mm. Uh, and yeah, it was it was a wonderful run. Wait, two thousand four, two thousand four. And you know, if we go, if we Nick Frost, I. It's a decade, a yeah, okay. It's a full decade. But case. we can go back further to um, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg's collaboration on Spaced, and I think it was yeah. 1999. Yeah. But yeah, they, they had a really great run together, and I really hope that they'll work together again. I don't think anything they've written separately matches up to anything they've written together, personally. And I, and I think the greatest surprise for me in this rewatch was how much I still unabashedly, childlikely enjoyed each of these films. I was stupidly laughing at the gags, even though I knew when they were coming. Mm. Like, it's not even the point that you expect when they're coming. It's still, it's still funny. Mm. It, it's, and this is not, uh, the rewatch value is, is insane. It's, it's, it's not there in any of the current comedies at all. Like, mm. I don't want to watch a film. That's right. They're incredibly in rewatchable, the last, all of these films. Yeah. In the last uh, five or six years, maybe Spy, I would want to do it. You're right. Yeah. There's a but, reason why all of these films are on Australian streaming. They're beloved. They're these are classic comedies. These will be watched in 50, 60 years. How much uh, can we do? Yeah, I think so too. Um, but yeah, I guess we can say the Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, and uh, Nick Frost. And maybe era. maybe we could, we could write an open letter. This is the film five yeah. letter to, you know, let's... Uh, no, 1999 to 2013. All right. Send it further. Yeah, we'll, we'll <laughs> write when we post this and just be like, hey, dude, we really want you to want more. Please, please, on behalf of Australia. It's, it's yeah, amazing. yeah. We love it. Have you guys watched Spaced, by the way? 
not. I, I, I wanted it. I don't. I can't find it. Is, is it? On it's Stan? on Stan, and oh, it was a while yeah. ago. I watched it on Stan. Um, okay. It's oh, not up to the the of the films, but there's some funny stuff in it. It's interesting in watching a, a sitcom with this very cinematic mind behind the camera. Like it's so visually inventive for a British, well, for any, a sitcom from anywhere, honestly. Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, Edgar Wright, I'll watch it. I, I don't care. Yeah. I, can just, I can just watch them together. I think they yeah. have and an it's, insane amount of sort of energy that just gels yeah. when they're working together. It's just works. For some yeah. It's a, it's a slacker comedy, basically. Yeah. Perfect. So that is well done. It is on Stan. The last one we're talking about. Is well, then it's on Netflix. Netflix, yeah. Well, then it's on Netflix, yeah. Next up, which is Baby Driver, which is on TV all the time, which is what I like. Yeah, and it's also on Amazon Prime. It is starring Ansel Elgort, John Hamm, Isaac Gonzalez, Kevin Spacey, Jamie Foxx, and Lily James. Is that everyone? I think we've got everyone. John Bernthal, Flea. I don't know if there's anyone else notable. And it is <laughs> Baby Driver, like Speed Racer. Right. <laughs> Named after the song. First name Baby, last name Driver. Yeah. Uh, turns out his real name spoiler alert it's not baby no surprise well we, yeah. we, have, we have said this is a spoiler discussion so it's it's miles <gasps> it's miles uh, <laughs> driving what, for what, miles what what a teller joke yeah um <laughs> sorry that was so bad I, I like <laughs> they can't all hit I, I, I like the way he uh, handles music cues in this uh, as an elongation of all his other work. I enjoy this film as a thriller. I think it, the, uh, the pace and the way it escalated worked me. Like it does in the best of rights films. I like the performances. I, th there's, there's elements of the romance between the leads that doesn't really fly with me. It's very immediate and I feel less resonance than it otherwise could have been. Otherwise I really enjoyed this film. I loved it when it came out. Um, I thought, okay, I can see how this is like surface level, but the style is so good that I'm just completely along for the ride. And this time around, I was distracted by too many things to enjoy it on that level. I still basically enjoy it because technically it's superb. Um, it's fast paced. The way the action is shot is great. The, he's been good at action all along, but for me, this is the moment where he's clearly established himself as a master at directing action. The action in this is really exciting, beautifully staged, um, great spatial dynamics, fast paced without being too fast. But also there, there's a lyricism to the, to the way it's shot. I mean, the yeah. first sequence when ba Baby is listening and he's basically balletically dancing to the streets in the, in the opening sequence. Beautiful. It's actually- It's a music video. Watch. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. If, honestly, I wish we'd seen the more full-on musical version of this. I kind of wish the movie had committed to being a musical. Yeah, so that, 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 that's the thing. I feel uh, the genre mashups don't work for me. And the reason I kind of hate it, because I kind of feel like this film was trying to be too many films at once. And I just wish I could see one of these films. Hmm. I don't care which of these films Wright committed to. I just wanted him to commit to one of these things. Uh, yeah. And unfortunately, the whole 50s diner romance element was such a sore thumb because Lily James is great, but I don't know what she was doing in this film. She had no- I think no, it's not her fault. It's Wright's fault. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Lily she, James. no, she was great. Lily James was great. She did everything that she needed to do to elevate this. 
all it was was here's this beautiful girl who is um, as written guileless and absolutely loves you and will do anything for you and then is there five years later after you've finished prison with this uh, gorgeous car which arguably is arguably it was a fantasy that that aspect of it came forward more to me this time around the first time i watched it i just bought 100 that the ending was um was really yeah. what's happening but uh and the film is fantastical in, in certain elements i just wish it committed more to that so that we yeah. can actually buy into the fantasy. The thing, was yeah. the, idea. The, the thing is, whether or not that ending is a fantasy is almost irrelevant because within the way that, first of all, they've given an out for the idea of would she wait that long and saying it's only five years. Five years is still a long time considering how, how the level of depth to their emotion, to their relationship that's betrayed here. But it's almost irrelevant because the movie operates at a level of depth where it may as well be what's really happening. It's been so unrealistic in the way that the relationship's been portrayed that it's not inconsistent to think, oh yeah, and she waited five years to give him the gorgeous welcome and everything's all right. I took it as realistic. Um, it wasn't a jump. I mean, I, I never really the, the only anything other given the pacing of the film. Yeah, the, the reason why I thought this may be fantasy is just at the end, it comes when he's reading the postcard from her and it starts in black and white, then moves to color. So there's at least something to hinge the idea of maybe this is what he's imagining when he's reading the postcard and he's in jail thinking when I come out of here, this can happen. Um, but again, the movie is so unrealistic in the way that the relationship between them is portrayed that it, it may as well be real. That would be consistent with the way that the films worked. And yeah, it, um, it's too much of a fantasy. When you were talking about how, how guileless she is, man, this is Lily James, right? This is like the prettiest woman in the world when baby tells her she's pretty and she says like, oh, you nobody told me, nobody's, nobody's told me that before. I, I'm not sure she said about that, but um, I hope she didn't say that, but she definitely was like, oh, you don't mean that. And, Come on. If you were Lily James, you would know that you were pretty. <laughs> and <laughs> she would be getting just so much unwanted male attention working in a diner all day, every day. There are aspects yeah. to this film that, that just didn't work for me, which to Wright's credit has not happened with any of Wright's other films as much for me, That which is why this kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. Well, it's the only film that he's the sole credited writer on. And it informs the theory I had about how essential Simon Pegg is to the process. I would say this and Scott Pilgrim are the only two that I would say don't have a very deep emotional core to them. Um, they're much more about like the style and operating on the surface level. And this one without a uh, source material to adapt like Scott Pilgrim has, you know, has less emotional depth than that. And it's like, it, it seems to be a movie purely built around cinematic style. And ultimately for me this time around, I felt like it's just too much of a movie nerd fantasy. Like the wish fulfillment of the girl who's basically ready to throw herself at him you know, ready to let's let's plow through and and burn to death. And that she was ready to hit that accelerator yeah. at the end when they were at the end of the road. As soon as she's like, "Come along with me, baby." Last time around, I was so hypnotized by the style, I could feel in my head thinking like, oh, this is a bit dumb," but I just didn't care. I was along for the ride. I thought the whole movie's a fantasy, whatever. But now, like, it was just too dumb. Like, if you were in this situation, you would be like, "I don't want anything to do with this criminal madness with this guy I barely know. Get me the hell out of here," you know. Yeah, like was doing terrible things he's mixing terrible tapes yeah that's it yeah <laughs> the, 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 not that charming really. oh yeah the mix yeah so many things about it just kind of struck me as stupid like um the mixtape thing right yeah it's a cool concept but once again 
not used. Really it not just a appears. Method. It appears and it's gone. I don't find it very funny. I find it strange. I I found it quirky, then it was humorous. But it, it's and very. It's also like um, Edgar Wright showing his age, wanting to make a movie that's a tribute to the way things were when he was young. Like any music producer wouldn't be using all these funky 80s toys. Baby baby in 2017, when this came out, would be like, I'm going on Fruity Loops and mix it, making the hottest EDM jam out of these recordings. But yeah, the whole thing is- It's too convenient for the plot. It's a plot device rather than a comedic- And they didn't go anywhere with it, you know? Like yeah. it's just this one thing that appears and it goes away. And it's also, it's just too stupid. Like Baby is supposedly terrified of the this um, evil criminal mastermind guy, which is the reason what you know why he's in this situation in the first place. But like, how dumb is this guy if he's recording, he's creating evidence of the crimes? Like, is is this guy that stupid? And am I supposed to care about him anymore when I learn that he's that stupid? You know, <laughs> that might sound like a mean thing to say, but it's just so wow. incredibly dumb to do that. Like, it's just mind-blowingly. What the fuck? What about the old guy? The old guy who gets screwed over by this acceptably. There's, there's a lot of stuff that is dumb for the purposes of generating tension. Mm. But even in terms of performances, like apart from John Hamm, mm. I wasn't really impressed by anyone else. I like the Isaac Gonzalez a lot. This is a breakout role. No, I, I thought Jamie Foxx was pretty good. It's the writing that's bad. I thought Lily James is good. Like I thought everyone was pretty good. It's just the writing. Yes, he was good too. You know, there's not much depth. I didn't. I wasn't so into Ansel. Yeah, I, I guess the characters weren't written as characters. They were just written as cardboard cutouts to be placeholders. And I think that's kind of the problem. Yeah, that's just it. More dumb things. I can kind of buy this to some extent because the law is closing in, but Kevin Spacey goes from manipulative, probably a psych psychopath to like, oh, fine, you know, I'll protect you and I'll go out swinging for you, baby. You know, I don't buy it. But talking about the the blind guy, it's it's too much of a movie nerd fantasy you know it, it doesn't yeah. it's not it doesn't correspond to anything real there's a level where when everything in this is so built around these these types like you know the 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 warm old blind black guy but the it's just yeah it's, it's so it's... movie types and like they everything is a cliche there's not not like we were talking before about how true to life the world's end is and all of the Conetto trilogy have these true to life aspects there is nothing true to life in baby driver and that's fine if you're at a certain point it's just too shallow film. and that's okay if you're building a film basically as a fantasy right but the fact is i think the film doesn't fully commit to the fantasy elements as much as it could have i think that's yeah. where the film is faulted for me it's it's not that uh, you know that there are enough hints in there that the ending is a fantasy great but I wanted that tone to be like the problem is if you're going to be that ridiculous, you need to be that ridiculous to go on out there. It it just kind of goes in mm. and out. It kind of like skirts and skirmishes in terms yeah. of their tone and mashups, which didn't need to be there. I would be happy if this was a full-on musical, full-on planetary kind of thing. Go majestic and really had uh, you know mm. chases with the technical expertise, which are great. Those yeah. racing sequences are fantastic. I and think, they kind of fit the fantasy genre because, you know, there's no way somebody could be driving that way anyway. Mm. I mean, it doesn't make sense. But in a fantasy, mm. everything makes sense anyway. But even even a fantasy needs to have the kind of, like, internal consistency to make you buy into it. Things like the... And the characters you want to root for. There's no one right. that I really care about even in the fantasy. Yeah, Baby is a void of personality. The only thing designed to make you care for him is he's a, a good guy in a bad situation. 
but some of the things he does, like the way he sabotages the final heist, yeah, made him hard for me to root for. Like, he doesn't care about people as much as he thinks he does. <laughs> right? No, he doesn't seem to. He created a lot of one. He cares about himself, and he cares about Lily James, and he cares about the old gentleman. Yeah. Look, there would have been a, a lot less carnage if he'd just seen through the heist, as opposed to the stunt he tried to pull in this film. But I mean, there are a lot of just stupid things and stupid decisions characters make which make no sense even internally within the world that it's been created. Yeah, just do the heist and then bail. Don't try and bail during the heist, you idiot. But anyway, it's it's also, it's I don't know, I felt like I was being manipulated. Like I felt like it was too cutesy between the the dancing, the old man, the Lily James character. Everything is so ingratiatingly cute. Um, But then there's the suspense thriller type aspects and i don't think they gel well together is there anything else no, we i didn't quite buy like that kevin the kevin spacey character is a bad guy who wants to manipulate people and take advantage of people but the extent to which she both exercised such extensive control and such long-ranging control over the baby's life and to what extent baby couldn't just pick up and leave when he's driving skill in any case yeah there's a lot there that just beggars a bit of explanation which was yeah. a problem in any film mm. i did enjoy I the, too much otherwise yeah. to say on this film i i, I did enjoy and uh, the, i mean because i think i've been too negative about it and it's not really that bad a film. i still it's, like the film it's, it's well it's paced it's well shot it's, yeah. well staged it's just well my least staged. favorite edgar wright film which still makes it a better film than a lot of other films yeah that's it i still would take it over basically every action film i've seen in the last year i guess probably i prefer nobody uh, similar, like, similar level. Because that sequence, when you're thinking about the face-off sequence between John Hamm and, and the baby driver. Superb. The, the red and blue the queen, lights. The queen and, song. Yeah. Yeah, superb. Perfect. Wonderful. Fantastic stage musical type setting. And you basically, you, he made two cards dance to a song, which is inventive and kind of was fresh and just clever. There's very clever so, and fresh aspects to it. I just... It just doesn't come together as a whole. Yeah, thing. and I just wish there was a a deeper when i say reality to it i'm not asking for a realistic film but i want to believe in the it world it doesn't have a core it doesn't have a emotional center that you no. can hang on to there's no. nobody in there there's nobody in this world that you can really believe is honest and basically somebody, yeah. somebody who can guide you as a narrator and be like you know oh this is the person who i would want to basically lay my life down for you know, it's everyone. shallow it's very yeah. shallow very surface level I think we have to remember, though, we talk about this film as unrealistic and we're in this age where we're conditioned because of CGI to believe and accept and just assume that so much is staged using computer imagery. But so much of this film and so much of the action was practically shot. There's a gorgeous shot, one of many, many in the garage uh, where the Kevin Stacey character is killed, where John Hamm's car screeches up and comes to near the lift. And it looks like that was like uh, the zoom in was shot using computer technology but no it was practically shot a lot of this was just beautifully staged and i feel that it's not immediately evident from the artistry but it's still resplendent within it and i think that's something that isn't always appreciated that's a good point this film is extremely refreshing as a back to basics action thriller that is practically based with non-superpowered characters who don't take huge amounts of, of damage before going down. Well, 
John Hamm does a little bit, yeah, but it's yeah. not. I mean, there, there is a bit of that. Yeah, that, it's more like throwback to '80s, but it's not outrageous the level of wounding that he gets, you know, in the recovery time. You know, it's not. It it's I mean, not realistic. Technically, there is at least twice that you think he's dead, but he's not. But it's okay. <laughs> but he's a strong guy with willpower who's physically fit, and I can accept. In the, I, I could accept that he could do that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's nitpicking. A... That's that's not really a problem, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, the, the way that um, I guess it, it with the, the fact that they're police, it it it's written into the the script a bit. But seeing Jamie Fox just um lose his mind and shoot everyone, it's again, it's one of those just like this is kind of dumb. Yeah, it's it's conceivable. It's just that when these dumb things add up in the film. Like you, you can forgive it once or twice, but when it just keeps happening, I think my dislike stems from the frustration that such a technically perfect film deserved a much better and emotionally resonant script. Mm. You know, it kind of feels like because all the technical expertise almost goes to waste because you're not able to appreciate the technical film if you don't have a narrative that actually holds you together as much as it could have otherwise. So I'm kind of like coming from a place of frustration because. Technically, the film, as you rightly have pointed out, is amazing. In fact, it's probably one of the most technically proficient films as an action thriller made in probably the last five, seven years. But it probably doesn't get Longer. the recognition because, you know, it doesn't have a story that really you... It has too many loose ends and you kind of feel like, I wish all the set pieces were tied together with a stronger emotional thread. And I think it's just a bit too derivative as well. Yeah. It's too tied together for cliches. And the first and final scenes are the only ones where, um, where uh, were the ones where things happened organically. A lot of the action, as referred to, the scene where Jamie Foxx shoots everyone, it feels forced. The only other scene which does happen organically and where it's a bit of a screw up is the great scene of the bank robbery with the Mike Myers masks, where he screws up and there's a chase with interesting stunts as a result. And that was one of my favorite scenes in the movie. To so note, yeah. um, I don't think we knew the time, but where we first covered this, but the Mike Myers mask, they actually ordered Mike Myers Halloween masks and got the wrong masks. That's and so funny. Apparently, Wright called up Mike Myers and was like, hey, can we do like this in the film? And Mike Myers agreed, which is why the Mike Myers masks are in the movie, which is awesome. That's a good example of going with the flow and uh, being a good director, you know, which is being open to the ideas because nothing plays out exactly as you imagine when it actually comes to making a film. You've got to roll with the punches. It, it's the funniest joke in the film. It's not that Can you imagine just like the, the so, equivalent of these guys like opening the box on set and being like, these are Mike Myers masks, these are Mike Myers masks, and that making it into the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, because it was probably a hilarious moment on the set. Probably a simultaneously <laughs> like, what the hell? It's really, uh, like, this is so funny. <laughs> I ordered Mike Myers and I got Mike Myers. Okay. But it's not really an action comedy there are comedic elements there's like um the the, the dumb mixtapes he makes um or it's an action drama it's less it's, it's not a comedy at all yeah I, I think there's a lightness of touch that says this is from a comedy director yeah but it feels like he's stopped wanting to make these comedy hybrids and he's starting to want to make genuine entries in the genres that he's been inspired by so with that in mind his his next film is um last night in soho and I'm intrigued, but also skeptical of this film because it's horror. And talking about some of the concerns I have about Wright 
working on his own and or write in general um even going with something like Shaun of the Dead though he has progressed as a filmmaker since then I don't think this guy could make a scary movie that doesn't mean the movie would be bad if it's not scary and I'm open to being scared by it I, but I feel like what he does is so without Simon Pegg um it's, it's so I, I, think, I, I don't think it's horror I think it's it's got that psychological uh trailer element to it i i would treat it less than horror even even the trailer kind of gave me more psychological thriller kind of vibe rather than horror right i i i, I don't know it's just that territory i think really works on the unknown and wright's films are so heavily based in genre tropes um it, it, it kind of movie love, it feel like know? it was drawing from uh Tesperia a lot as well it kind of felt very much but in a good way. Suspiria is good and is not scary. So it, like I said, I, I don't think this movie not being scary would be a death sentence, but it's it's an intriguing idea. Just I'm curious to see if he can pull it off uh, because I I can ima easily imagine how this could turn into a baby driver, like technical exercise of um, homages to things he likes in other horror movies. Yeah. I, I mean, I shouldn't talk too much about a movie I haven't seen, I'm just saying it, it's hard to imagine. But it's it's like he's going, he's trying to do well the the fantasy element and blending it back to horror, right? I mean, hmm. the fantasy that he tried in Baby Driver, and clearly a lot of people didn't get the fantasy elements to it. In this film, or the trailer at least, makes it a lot clearer. That the fantasy elements are very much there. At least <laughs> I got a real sense that this film is very much fantasy as much as it is horror as well. Hmm. So I think he's definitely trying to make his tropes a lot clearer, if anything else. So I think he definitely has learned something from Baby Driver. So mm. he's, not, he's not trying to hide any aces up his sleeve. I'm sure he's, he'll turn out something that's um, stylistically, formally superb, no doubt. Yeah, it's just the, yeah, whether the characters have some depth to them or not. Or whether there's an emotional core. He also did the Sparks Brothers. <laughs> yeah, go back and listen to our review from a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the... Months, maybe. Yeah, the the brief. I'm I'm the only one of the trio, the three musketeers here, who's seen Sparks Brothers. But my I too long damn thing that stopped me from going outside. Yeah, exactly. Um, but my too long didn't listen version uh, is right. Throws everything in the kitchen sink to try and spice up the thing visually. Uh, it, it's basically entertaining. It's fast paced. Um, everything you want to know about on the surface level, the history of this band is in this movie. Um, it's decent, but I, he, I don't think has a fully formed idea of how he wants to present a documentary yet. And maybe if he continues along the route of making documentary films as well, he'll reach a level of consistency and coherency that we see in his feature films. But it's a, it's a great first-time documentary. I mean, look, I'm not going to fault a director for trying out different genres than he already has. Yeah. I, I know he's perfected comedy, right? I mean, and, it, and it's fine. I think creatively also, I think it's only fair that you want to expand your horizons and try out different things that you know that you're inspired mm. by. It's not like exactly. he's not competent in these other genres. He's very, he knows these things. Yeah, let's... Let's not forget that he had a long history of working in British comedy before starting his uh, film directorial 
yeah. career. And, he was always a I, movie nerd who was making, like he directed Bill Bailey's sketch show and stuff like that. And parts of, I think parts of the Peter Serafinovich show, I think he contributed yeah. to. Um, he has all these connections with British comedy talent, which resulted in, I think, the incredible casts and cameos we see in the Cornetto trilogy. That's, right that's, the, the, one, that's the one thing I miss, miss, I think. I think Wright's greatest contribution so far has been, like, you know, you, you've had British television comedy, British TV comedy with Forky Towers, with your Black Adder, and, but that's not always translated into film as well. Mm. You have a rich tradition of British TV comedy which you know people love and rightly so uh but it wasn't quite sure what you don't to... like carry on uh, i'm joking those... yeah, no. <laughs> i was i was it was a joke i, I wasn't serious guys <laughs> carry on chris <laughs> yeah but the thing is i remember one gag from this movie where it's like i'm looking for a table what sort of table the top and four legs. I'm like, ah, ha, 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 ha. There's a few of yeah, those classic sort of, sort of, uh, Britishy gags British. in um in these movies. Some of the wordplay. Yeah. But that's the thing. I mean, because uh, in in a film, you know, in model a series, you the model village. Oh, the mo- the model village. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Little, little things that little things, come full yeah. circle. Yeah. Even yeah. The, the World's End had some. I can't remember what it was, but when they talked to the guy who played the the one with all the guns in Hot Fuzz. Um, yeah, in, um, yeah. And I, I know this thing you mean. I just can't. Yeah, yeah. One of the lines there, that there was right. There was some funny classic British kind of wordplay or repartee going on there. The well, the thing is, oh. like in British TV comedy, oh. it's easier to establish that because you get a longer runtime and you kind of live with these characters. But it's been difficult to bring that over to film because you kind of have these eclectic mix of characters who are very good at doing their own thing. By bringing it together on a sort of you know a, a canvas where each of them could do their own thing while still contributing to the narrative of the film is a slightly difficult, if if not impossible. I think Wright has proven that mm-hmm. he can bring people like you know the Black Books reunion in Shaun of the Dead, the characters that you know through British TV comedy, and yet they can have their own independent characterization and their own quirks separate from their TV comedy avatars in film. So, you know, yes, Dylan Moran is playing Bernard Black, but he's also not playing Bernard Black in Shaun of the Dead. He still has enough of his separate quirks that make him different as a character in Shaun of the Dead, even though you can know by seeing him. He's nothing like Bernard Black at all. He's nothing like Bernard Black at all. But even though seeing him, you're like, oh my God, that's Bernard Black. But he's not Bernard Black in the film, obviously. So it's it's an interesting marriage of TV comedy. and the brilliance of the the secondary gag in um short of the dead it is it is incredible yeah i mean that, that's the other so, thing yeah. i mean he's, oh, the he's secondary able... characters yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So, such a great in joke for people who get yeah. he's able to make these subconscious callbacks from tv comedy onto film which would not work otherwise i mean it's 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 brilliant i mean we haven't given him enough credit for just five films and they're kind of well, old... look i was thinking I was thinking while watching these films how difficult it is to make comedy on film. Jerry Seinfeld made the point before that yeah. TV is usually funnier than movies when it comes to comedy because comedy is spontaneous. Um, so something that's a little bit cheaper and a little bit quicker like TV um, is just by its nature is funnier than something that's so overdetermined like film. And I think Wright gets around that by finding a really cinematic form 
he uses the overdeterminedness in something like Hot Fuzz with these incredible cutaway jokes where he makes the he makes the editing, he makes the rhythm of the acting um, that's incredibly yeah, you're right. passed over it, and determined. The rhythm, the, the way that the joke is delivered. To the edit, I mean the editing. I, I'm pretty sure all his films come together on the edit table. I'm not I'm not saying that one hundred percent that they're not there in the way they're shot, but clearly the rhythm of like the, the actual breathing of a scene as to how long and short it needs to be at, at what point in time in terms of even the energies of the actors and how they riff off each other, very much is that because of the editing and how quickly or how, how much, uh, you know, the extra 10 seconds that he holds on to when he doesn't need to be held on for a gag. You know, these are things that you only try on the edit table and they work brilliantly well. If it's all in his head, then he's clearly a genius, which he is already. So, you know, we're not denying that, but hmm. so much of that comedy okay. is timing and that timing is fantastic. I mean- Oh yeah, he, he's a master of timing and he knows when to go- that on film is, is impossible until, well, right came along. Yeah. Kind of like we said with, with Hot Fuzz, even in a film that is very thick and fast with the gags, he knows when to hold, withhold. Yeah, this, this has been this has been a genuine uh, sort of fanboy white club moment. Yeah, I loved watching all these films yeah. and thinking about it's them. Nice, it's nice, it's nice to watch just wonderful, good, well staged, original, creative films that with real love from actors who clearly love being in them. Yeah, definitely just... helped my, my mental health. Yeah, yeah, that's it. They're, they're great. It's no goddamn irony. That's it. Yeah, these the films are very sincere. Even Hot Fuzz has a bit of irony to it, but it is the right amount of irony. It, I don't feel like I'm drowning in irony like yeah. I do. The irony is not breaking the fourth wall. It's not a wink at the audience. The irony is within the world that it's been built. It's there are aspects, I, Hot Fuzz is the one that's the most leaning towards that kind of irony. Like the bit where, um, the, uh, the bit where Nick Frost breaks up with son, uh, Simon Pegg briefly and then runs away in a silly way. Yeah, no, no, I mean, that's it's fine. So, like, when we say like, what postmodern comedic irony has become today, which is directly talking to the audience and winking yeah. at the audience directly and breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. I find that annoying now. I find like it's done too. It's hard. so annoying. But Hot Fuzz does that. It even has yeah, moments when Simon Pegg looks directly at the camera. Oh, yeah. But yeah. It, it's not too much. He knew when to do it. He knows when not to do it. And, and when it was done, it was uh, so fresh. But now it's mm -hmm. just overdone. And there's so much to recommend about these films. Even Scott Pilgrim, which is the one I came out with the, the most... Um, problems as i saw it was like too much of a good thing like the the style is amazing you know and some of the comedy in that is great actually i remembered something about scott pilgrim that i failed to uh give credit for which is the seinfeld gag that was so funny all right when, um the everything's written like a sitcom and it's got the laugh track and like the slap bass <laughs> and, and the room is shot like it's a tv set and yeah, the, got it, got it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And the cheers when characters enter and stuff. That, that was one of the funniest parts of the film for me. Even Scott Pilgrim, you know, and Baby Driver, which I, I came at with pitchforks. He's a good director, which is yeah. why I'm concerned about One Night in So I'm excited, but also concerned. He's a superb director. Yeah. That's exactly. it. He, um, he comes with a vision every time. And that is so rare these days. There's a genuine vision and a genuine grasp for visuals. Which is really important. We, we can we can only hope that Edgar Wright is listening to this episode now <laughs> because we've really gone well overboard in our praise of Edgar Wright, and which is right because he deserves it. It's just right. No, um, <laughs> I, I reckon he's too busy, but you know, it's nice to dream. And, uh, All right, Edgar, what are you doing? Listen to the episode. <laughs> if you're listening, uh, 
Yeah, we'll we'll totally be extras. We'll we'll totally work. (laughs) Make a movie in Australia. We're COVID safe. (laughs) 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 You you spend so much time in these English country towns. You've never been to Yass. You've never been to Young. You've never been to Broken Hill. You've never been to Dungog. Dungog. Like, give it a go. Imagine an Australian Edgar Wright. You know, these films are so British. Yeah, I'd love to see the Australian equivalent. I wish we had that level of richness to our film industry these days. Uh, but I don't think Australian humor just translates. Well, I hope Indigrad is. Maybe it could. It's not developed enough, you know. That's yeah. true. We're getting into the contemplative zone, so I think it's the right time to end. Yeah, call time. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll yeah. be back with something yeah, we're next come week. Come back next week with. This is the world's end, indeed. Unless the world is actually ending. You can just make a suggestion. We'll, we'll report on that anyhow. Yeah, let, let, let's not cover. I haven't really, we haven't really thought about next week. We'll figure it out. Um, but yeah, please send us a suggestion. Just send some time. Please send us a suggestion on Twitter. Black Widow, guys. You want to watch Black Widow? Oh, man. You watch Black Widow? Honestly, no. I think I'm well... Intru- I've said this so many times, but I really think I'm done with MCU. I can't bring myself to watch it. I don't care. I just yeah. do not care. I, 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 I mean, that was the only thing I was happy about when, the, when uh, basically the lockdown was announced because it was the day black widow came out was in cinemas and i was like i'm so glad i don't have to go and see it because i know if i was free i would still go and see it because being a critic or being someone who's who <laughs> likes movies even though i know i will be predisposed to not liking this you still feel I drawn stop in. myself from going and seeing a film with it's in cinemas the marvel yeah. vortex yeah it's not even about marvel it's just like it's it's a film that will lead to conversation that is important in the current cinematic zeitgeist. Supposedly, that's what they want you to believe. Exactly. Supposedly, I, I people be talking I, I about it. Yeah, and about the things that happen, it is so extremely dumb, and it <laughs> it's sounds okay. like. I, I, I don't even care, and it, which is which is the best thing to have happened about it. Did it put men in their place and make them squeam? As a side note, the um in apparently it's set in budapest and hungary and i think the only reason for this is that in avengers there's a scene where black widow and hawkeye talked about the time in budapest and no one knew what this was but apparently it was referenced to buffy so because it's an obscure buffy reference uh, when angel spent time in budapest they have to now set a whole movie in budapest which i find funny so yeah go watch buffy it's better than any any single I mean- episode is buffy your your extended uh, extended explanation of this unnecessary gag has already convinced me that I will never even have anything to do with Black Widow or or Loki or anything MCU related, which is apparently still like uh, whatever or wherever in the world. And it's I don't just care. not for us. There's a point where you know, like the Marvel stands would say, "All right, well, if you don't like it, don't watch it." Yeah, that's the point I'm at for me. I can come out complaining about them every single time. There's a point where it's like, what's the point in me watching them anymore? I know I'm not going to enjoy it. I don't care that I used to care about b- being really part of the zeitgeist, whatever that means, and the discussion about the state of cinema. And But it's but a waste of time. The, of cinema, the movies then, are always the same anyway. Yeah, but if this is the state of cinema, then it's pretty dire and pretty bad. The state right? of, oh, the state of cinema is terrible right now. It's really unhealthy. But myth, hey, myth's good. Myth yeah, good. yeah, yeah, yeah. We can, we can, um, we can well, retreat maybe, to our, our, maybe, our maybe by next week we'll find out what's happening with SFFs. So we'll have something to report on our city. Make the well. cancellation. 
But no, we don't I mean, know. Yeah, we don't know. But I mean, come on. The next week. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, hopefully, postponement in 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 the best light, but cancellation is more likely, I think. Or postponed once. Mm. Or frankly speaking, um, there are major shifts in what is happening in New South Wales, and it can go ahead in some form. But I, a, no, look, if, it, if, it, if it's going ahead in person, I still will not be comfortable going in cinemas with the variant out there without being vaccinated, which I will not be given. I think all. a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. Um, before we wrap up, I, I said some weird, I don't know, it, it, there've been some issues in recording this where you know there's gaps just because we're working via Zoom. And um, so one of us starts to talk and then we all both start talking at the same time. And then um, the voices go quiet and stuff. So I'm not sure if this came through, um, but I, I said some weird phrase um, about Black Widow, which I feel like in, in case it was there on the audio, I have to explain. And even if it isn't, it's funny. So uh, here it is. Did you guys hear the IndieWire tweet about Black Widow? Okay, I'll read it out for you. It's so funny. Oh, yes. Next level clickbait. Yes. Yeah, I made reference to it. So I feel like I have to explain it. But here it is. Black Widow not only passes the Bechdel test, it forces men to squeam as it puts them in their place. It's a solid comic book tentpole that excels as a Bond movie, but falls into third act MCU messiness. Read our review. This is a different one. There was another one where they were like, here's the place to um, buy the, the best Black Widow merchandise online, really repping indie with that one. But I, I found the forces men to squeam as it puts them in their place. It's like, they're just fishing for trolls. They know that they'll rile up angry men on the internet by saying that. But also the idea that like the second half of the tweet is describing it in such kind of like soft, inoffensive language. Like, yeah, it's okay. Solid Marvel, kind of like Bourne. But then the first thing is like, yeah, it forces men to squeam as it puts them in their place. Like, geez, this movie is radiating an aggressively misandrist energy. It doesn't square with this very whatever movie you're describing. Man, I wish a Marvel movie carried that kind of energy. I want to be like, it's like this, it's a BDSM type relationship I'm going to enter with it as a man if I sit in front of Black Widow and it forces me to squeam and puts me in my place. All right, sure. <laughs> Way more sexual than anything in Marvel movies. in a Marvel No, they'll, they'll never go anything that wouldn't be absolutely accept, accessible to every audience. So you've read the, the spoilers. Do you think that it puts men in their place and forces them to squeam? Um, the aspects of the spoilers don't speak to that. It's elite clickbait. Like they deserve, a, 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 at, at the very least, it has to be an honorable mention at, the, at this year's clickbait awards, which really should be a thing. Maybe, maybe we'll come back next week with the clickbait awards. Oh, man. Oh, God. This is my favorite tweet. That's a thought. Yeah. That's the one, one we could fight about because this has become a film mutual appreciation society club, which is. There were disagreements. This there week. were some disagreements, but yeah, there's a lot of similar opinions. What else is coming out online this week? It's really. I don't know. I'm, I'm actually. I don't know. We'll figure it out. I'm I'm happy to talk about, uh, now that I've watched every single Tom Cruise film, I'm happy to supplement our previous Tom Cruise episode with the films we have not yet seen, so we can literally have covered every Tom Cruise film. Taps, by the way, from 81, uh, his second film. Incredible movie with Sean really? Penn. Cool. 
really, no it's, it's a really under, I think it's actually more relevant now than this today. And I'd actually, if they made a remake of this, I'd go watch because they can, it would be more relevant. Um, it's about an elite military academy and whose, whose students um, in objection to external actions take, uh, occupy the school. Mm. And they have access to quite a big army. And you have these factions therein of students who are different levels of command, different levels of experience. Tom Cruise is playing the leader of the Berets, who are the most extreme faction. And it's a really good film about how we view the military and how we view uh, patriotism and uh, how we view government, how the U- in US, the, the relationship between the US, the military, and a big government, government control, and just um, and just the getting having very insular views in an organization. It's really, really good. I'm surprised it's not more of a classic, honestly. Mm. Um, on the subject of Tom Cruise, did you like his his big career and sunglasses? Should we, should, we uh, should I pause or should we end before we have the discussion? Or no, no, no. Just look, we're about to wrap up anyway. I just was going to say that my favorite Tom Cruise movie of the week was the Wimbledon finals. Uh, he was at Wimbledon. He was at the soccer as well. He was at the England final. He's everywhere. And Djokovic is looking a lot more like Tom Cruise every day. I started watching Tom Cruise films and suddenly, God, he's at all the things. Um, actually, you know, I, I say this, but I'm guessing that Wimbledon and all the football uh, were probably just like props in the new Mission Impossible film. Like He probably was playing Ethan Hunt mm-hmm. and we're going to see... He has a nice Wimbledon. suit. I like his um, suit. But I mean, it's Tom great, Cruise. Suit, great glasses. I'm glad Body won. The first Djokovic match was great. The first Djokovic set, excuse me, was amazing. We should probably wrap Where, up Film Fight Club. Um, We've gone way off track now. Um, we'll we'll enjoy <laughs> our sports discussions. You don't, you don't need to rub it in. Federal lost early. It's it's just whatever. You know. Tennis doesn't matter. Djokovic doesn't matter. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. See you next time. You know, a body one, all that matters. See you next week. Enjoy the party party. Bye.